Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It's tingling and it's spectacular. To listen to this show, find us on 4eyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. This episode is supported by our spectacular and up patron, Bo Harper. Woo! And we did, in fact, have some Word Snappers words in our last batch of episodes. Did you catch them? Did you huh? figure out what they were? Woo! The words from our last set of episodes was... Maguire's Organic Gluten-Free Webbing, submitted by Spider-Girl, a.k.a. Gemma Nicole. Thank you, Gemma. That was very challenging to figure out how to work <laughs> in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I felt lots of anxiety, which is exactly what I want to feel. Yes. Oh, no. It was it was fun. And I was I was so proud of myself when I figured out how to work it in. Yeah. It was in part two of the Spider-Verse mm, episode yes, that we yes. were talking about, specifically talking about Peter B. Parker being... Compared to Tommy McGuire. So I really, I like made it a point to go on that tangent a little bit because I was like, I feel like that's going to open up the opportunity <laughs> to say this somehow. And it did and it worked. And I'm so skillful. happy. Skillful. Very, very skillful, I would say. <laughs> Thank you. I would say so too. <laughs> yes. Well, if you are wondering what in the world is Word Snappers, we have a game called Walloping Word Snappers that is tied to our Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, we want to make sure that you're involved in some way. So if you decide to become a patron at the $5 level or higher, you can also submit words or phrases that we have to work into the show. Um, you'll get a secret form that you can fill out, and we will try to incorporate them in some way, shape, or form once a month. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, and you have to figure out what they are. Yes, 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 yes. It's such an such a fun game. Just keeps us on our toes. Um, and that's just in addition to many Patreon perks that we have on our Patreon. So we would love for uh, for you to participate in that if you want to actually like play the game yourself and be a be a participant in it. In addition to being able to play it, you get plenty of perks like some additional commentary episodes that we do. Um, we'll probably have another one released soon so definitely check that out patreon.com slash walloping web snappers i'm super excited right now like for this episode that we're doing i'm super excited for the season that we're going to be doing right now um and i'm super excited for you to be finally watching the season that we're doing right now too yes <laughs> yes for those of you who don't know for some reason if you didn't check out our our introductory episode or something derek and i have been friends for a while and we we became friends because of power rangers but quickly found out that we were both pretty big into spider-man as well and one of the series that derek has been trying to get me to watch this entire time i think maybe the podcast was actually just the final strategic move in getting me to watch this series is 
the spectacular Spider-Man. So we're 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 watching it, which means I'm finally following through on the the countless times I've said, "Yeah, I I, I got to check that out." <laughs> and here it is. We're doing it. It's happening today. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm so pumped. To be fair, it hasn't been super easily accessible unless you buy the DVDs for it. Mm. But uh, but now it was a good opportunity to do it because it is actually streaming somewhere. It's the first yes. Spider-Man show that we're doing that's streaming somewhere and not even at a paid service. It's streaming for free. Yeah. So if you want to check it out, we'll go through this when we're going in the episode. But it is on Crackle, Sony's Crackle website. You don't need a subscription or whatever. You can just watch it. This show, as well as the uh, the MTV Spider-Man, the new animated series, is also on there. So um, if you haven't been able, to, if you've been listening to our podcast without following along because you don't want to put the money up to buy the show, thank you for listening to our podcast regardless yeah. of that. Um, that's awesome. But uh, but now if you want to follow along um, or if you've never seen the series before, super easy. Just log on to Crackle.com. And um, not that this is a pay- an ad for them or anything. but <laughs> Sponsor us, Crackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Definitely plugging them. But they have um, some decent apps and stuff like that in addition to the browser and totally for free just you know you have to deal with a couple of commercials which is worth it i think yeah in my opinion for this show so yeah yeah so we've got lots and lots and lots of information we're only talking about one episode today Mm -hmm. uh, um as we typically do when we start a new show um we're delving into kind of the making of and some interesting behind the scenes trivia um since this show is fairly recent there's lots of information on the internet about it so we have a lot of information but it's still not even really going to scratch the surface of it to be honest but uh, but yeah, so this one, this is the show from the 2000s. This is going to be the first show um, that we've done that like takes place in the new millennium after after the Raimi movies. And in fact, this was kind of conceived to be sort of the successor to them, really. Like there was the MTV show that came out right after the first movie that was sort of kind of in continuity with those movies, but um, didn't really work out as well. This is the first time they were like, let's do a cartoon Spider-Man for kids that's just going to be a typical Spider-Man show, but it's still going to kind of like ride the crest of those Raimi movies that were so big and so influential at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot of uh, references to the Raimi movies in this show, but it also very much does its own thing. It's also very inspired by like by Ultimate Spider-Man a little bit, like the comics. Um, you sort of see influences from that. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's my favorite Spider-Man show. For sure. <laughs> I guess it's it's also worth mentioning before really delving into it that it has kind of a weird legacy. Like I think. It, it does sort of turn off people a little bit because there is sort of this cult of spectacular Spider-Man around it, which is mostly due to like the Firefly effect for it, essentially, where it was like, can- mm. it was canceled too soon and critically acclaimed, but canceled too soon. And the story behind its cancellation is really interesting and really crazy. A lot of like bad Parker luck, like worst case scenario stuff oh. happened in its second season. That's just wild. And, th- and the reason for its cancellation is interesting, but that's not really relevant until the second season. So for okay. this, we're just going to kind of deal with like the, the make the celebrating <laughs> the creation of it. But I think it is like interesting to to think of it through that lens because there is sort of that meta narrative to it where like people regard this as the best Spider-Man series ever. But part of that is because of like the way it's been idolized and been kind of a martyr a little bit for better or worse. I do think it still is a very, very good, very super high quality Spider-Man series. And like I said, it's my favorite one, but I'm excited to kind of look through it, not through that lens so much as just looking at it in the same way that I'm looking at any other Spider-Man series and not really trying to think about the, the crazy like history behind its cancellation and stuff. Sure. All the sort of like meta (laughs) elements of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about that like later down the line when we get to the second season of it. Cause there's, like I said, lots, of really interesting wild stories about how it's handled but this first season (laughs) 
everything went well for it and it was handled well everybody was happy so we're gonna stay happy for it not it's not <laughs> doom and gloom yet still got a long ways before you get to that point so. i i like that um you know i've i've avoided really looking too much up about this one just because your specific recommendation to me has lasted so long mm-hmm. and i've i've not spoiled anything for myself about this and you even said like don't you know don't look at this don't read that part because it'll it'll get sort of spoilery or whatever so um i'll just let that loom in the background knowing that there's some sort of uh gloom and doom waiting for me (laughs) and i'll have no idea what it is (laughs) it's okay the show you're not going to care about it while you're watching the show because the show itself is always good it's just you know (laughs) behind the scenes stuff yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that said, like I said before, um, this is the first Spidey series since 2003, which was the MTV one, which only lasted a season. It didn't do super duper well. So this was sort of meant to ride the crest of Spider-Man 3's success. It was in development before Spider-Man 3 came out, but they figured that it was going to be a big hit regardless. And, and and despite like the critical perception of Spider-Man 3, it did still make a lot of money. Like It was the highest grossing oh, yeah. of all of them. So they were right. The Spectacular Spider-Man was originally conceived by Sony Entertainment as a series of actually four animated DVD movies, basically. Um, they were going to chronicle Spider-Man's early years, and they were going to be produced by their very new direct to DVD division, um, which was Culver Entertainment. They also did have the option of figuring they would re-edit them into episodes to air as a series, but they were supposed to be like movies first. That is really, that's that's so interesting to me because occasionally you'll run into a, Disney did this many times, you'll run into a sequel to a Disney quote canon movie that's actually just a few episodes of a TV show smashed together and sold as a movie. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating to me that this started off in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it it is very interesting. I'm glad it didn't go in that direction because I think this show worked stronger as a series, but it it probably wouldn't have been as like influential or or done as well because people are more likely to find these shows on the internet rather than like going out and buying DVDs for a Spider-Man thing they've never seen before. Yep. Yeah. Either way, um, the company brought in two people who um, are very important to this show, uh, Victor Cook and Greg Weissman to help with the development. We'll go a little, we'll dig a little deeper into their credits as we kind of go into our actual episode discussion. But uh, needless to say, uh, they're obviously very important to this. Victor Cook is the art director and Greg Weissman ends up being the story editor. But there are two very talented, very skilled people. So um, it makes sense why they were brought in for this. But what after they were brought in for development, this was, uh, they did decide to like shift it to being like first run animated series. So what's interesting about it though, is that like the initial idea for this to be DVD movies actually really like impacted the structure of the show because they still kept their initial ideas for the structure the same. Um, so something that, that Cook had said in an interview was that each episode stands alone as its own story, but like the comic book itself, it's a saga. Then each three episodes is a story and those three episodes are what would be the DVD releases. So we basically have like different arcs that are each three to four episodes that would have been released as movies anyway. So they still kind of kept that structure just as they ended up having them like edited to be episodes first instead of being uh, movies. And in fact, like the DVD releases were still going to then like go backwards and edit them into movies, potentially even like integrating additional footage, like cut scenes or alternate edits. And if you look at volume one, which is the Attack of the Lizard DVD, which is just the first three episodes, they did cut them all into one movie and like credit it as like a feature length fe- uh, feature length feature is what I was going to say. I don't know how else you put that, but a feature length movie. Feature right? length film? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you had the alliteration right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in it was edited like that with i don't think there was really many like alternate scenes or 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 edits to it or anything i 
think the only thing to my memory that was different on that Attack of the Lizard DVD was that like some of the gunshots were like replaced with actual gunshots, whereas in the show mm. they had been censored to be more like laser sound effects. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my question because I am interested in this first volume being sort of uh, edited into a more movie-friendly mm-hmm. structure, but it sounds like maybe it's not that different yeah i think it more or less just cut out the credits basically i don't think it was really that different in this case (laughs) that's weird then it it did it went full cycle and ended up doing that disney sequel thing anyway (laughs) right but then it only did it for that first volume after that i think they were just like this is too much work who cares so everything (laughs) from volume two forwards they uh they still released them like in volumes by arc so you still got eight full volumes of it separating each arc but they just were just the episodes as is so very weird history for it yeah I I think ultimately it ended up working better for the show because it does make the show so interestingly uh, structured. Like it's structured almost like a collection of trade paperbacks, essentially. Mm-hmm. You just have a bunch of arcs and, and you'll, you know, we'll see as the, we watch the whole show that like each episode is like self-contained, but like you're getting so many characters that seed storylines for like later on, like even just in this first episode. Oh we're my introduced gosh. To a bajillion characters and set up for a bajillion so stories. many characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> Almost overwhelming. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> it's a lot. Not in it the is. episode, but when when you're trying to keep track of everybody for notes and discussion and stuff. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's an interesting thing about this show is that I'm I'm gonna skip to a note that we have later on, but sure. like every single character in the show who is named in the show, I should say. So, random bystanders might not apply to this but every <laughs> this character... bystander is actually pulled from issue 13 of the amazing <laughs> spider-man in panel 72 I mean, it's it's almost like that though because every single <laughs> named character in this show is an existing character in some spidey mythos so whether it's pulled from the comics or it's a character created in the movies or created in another cartoon like everybody comes from somewhere they specifically set out to not have any new characters like ever be in the show it's always going to be someone from spider-man they might be tweaked and different but they're still going to be like based on a character from spider-man mythos so well, i think and, and that makes it not feel overwhelming when you're watching it mm-hmm. you know like you already know the names and stuff it's not like you have to learn who anybody is yeah yeah i think that's what yeah that's what makes it so interesting i think it also makes it i mean it makes it less overwhelming but it also makes it more overwhelming at the same time because <laughs> you automatically recognize that every single background character that you're meeting that has one line is somebody like that's probably important because yeah. you know all of them and you recognize <laughs> all of their names i know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> right right so i love i i really love that about it i love how yeah. the show handles those characters but but kind of back to what we were talking about before this is something that i love so much because it's so like unnecessary but it's so it's so specific and and gives this show like such an interesting kind of voice to it mm-hmm. and also just like my love for like structuring things so because this show has such a heavy arc structure all of the episode titles like apply to that so greg weissman has said that his theme of the show is the education of peter parker so reflecting that is that each arc has a kind of a sub name it's not displayed on screen but like when they're breaking the story they name each arc after a course of study so throughout and this this exists throughout the entire show and then every episode title individually that you do see on screen are concepts that would be taught in that course so for example this first arc that we're that we're venturing into for the first three episodes is biology 101 
The first episode title is Survival of the Fittest, which is a concept that you might learn in Biology 101. I love that because it gives you insight into how they sort of organize their thought process in telling this story. Right, right. It's like the napkins that you always hear about J.K. Rowling writing on, mm-hmm. where it's like, I just want to see the napkins. And this actually gives us a little bit of insight into the napkins. <laughs> yeah, and I'm interested in doing this rewatch of because I'm paying more attention to how like the course study applies to the like villains that are chosen and the stories are chosen because mm-hmm. i want to say that like the course study does apply to like the collection of episodes in that arc too like it's not just a general like we're just doing biology titles like right like you're gonna say like okay all of the major plot points or villains are going to somehow connect to the biology theme of this arc and yeah i feel like that's how it goes but i'm, go- I'm gonna be curious like as we're doing this <laughs> on a more granular level to see if i notice that yeah so the question is is it just cute or is it substantial substantial <laughs> right right knowing greg weissman i feel like it's not just cute <laughs> I, I yeah i feel like this is almost too com- complex isn't correct but it's too involved to just be cute i think yeah <laughs> so this is something that i i didn't really think about until i you know saw it in the context of this show but weissman wanted to incorporate the earliest stanley and steve ditko slash john ramita senior comics where Peter was younger, and this was because they had yet to see high school Peter done in any adaptation like this. And it's, like, weird to me to think that that didn't happen. Yeah, because now we're kind of inundated with high school Peter. Yeah. It wasn't, like, all the cartoons preceding that almost explicitly had him in college. Right. And and the Raimi movies had him in high school for, like, 20 minutes, and then he was out of it right after that. This is before Amazing Spider-Man. Right. The Ultimate Spider-Man comics existed, but even they were only like, you know, they were like seven or eight years old by this point. But even then, that's almost, I mean, that's, it's even hard to call that an adaptation. You know what I mean? Like, True. It just seems like they were fast tracking anything that was adapted into a college age Peter Parker, which is really weird because I associate core Peter Parker with being a high school teenager. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it is weird. <laughs> and it's weird to like put yourself back into that, like- the idea that high school Peter was actually a very novel concept. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, um, so both Weissman and Cook, they did grow up as Spider-Man fans, but they said that they still reread the first few volumes of, of the Amazing Spider-Man Essentials compilations, which sure. are those like Lee, Ditko, Romita uh, books to kind of prepare, um, which is kind of, I think, what led them to the idea of like recognizing how many characters exist that they can pull from, which Ooh. is why they didn't make up any characters. Right. Since that was kind of fresh in their minds. But this is really, really cool, and I really love this, and this is a kind of thing that I think Weissman's always been a big proponent for in in all of his shows that I've seen. So on um, one of the the, uh, DVD and Blu-ray features, there's an interview with him where he says, um, and I quote, The guiding principle for creating any character on this show is to read the original comics and think down to what is the core kernel of truth about this character relative to all the other characters, to find things about the character that are essential to who he or she is. Also, that Spider-Man was created in the 60s, and not... 98% of the cast was Caucasian, and that's not New York in 2008. So we've changed the ethnicity of some of the characters very consciously, but we were also conscious of trying to maintain the spirit of each character. I love that a lot. (laughs) That's interesting to me because we were introduced to so many characters in this first episode, each of which we will briefly touch upon. Mm -hmm. But we don't really run into many examples of that yet. So I'm excited to see where those types of changes were made and how they, you know, how they, how they balance that. 
Yeah, there are some that you probably don't recognize because they weren't like explicitly named in it. But yeah. I think it's weird now because since then we've seen more like kind of alterations and like even going even farther of, of adding diversity to the Spider-Man mythos. So like <laughs> the changes that they made at the time, I think were pretty were pretty wild. But the fact that like Peter, Harry, Gwen, and MJ and Flash are all still white kids in this show. Eddie, whereas like and, and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then whereas you like you watch Spider Man Homecoming and you have like MJ and Liz and 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 Flash or um are yeah. all like people of color. Um like Ned is a is a major character and he's a he's um he's not a white person in that the movies either. Right. So it, it's sort of weird to look at it now. And 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 this is also like a pre Miles Morales world too. Sure. So we haven't gotten any kind of Spider Verse material or anything like that. So yeah, so it, it does feel kind of weird because it's almost still feels kind of dated where it's like well you could have went farther with that but it was still 2008 and i think that they made a lot of big strides like in spider-man in general literally right after this and i have to wonder how much influence the show doing that did like have an impact on on spider-man stuff going forward you know, mm-hmm. like where it was sort of like, well, yeah, it's okay to have Liz Allen not be like a blonde haired white girl. Yeah, that's the the one that I noticed outside of spoiler alert, the enforcers are in this episode, um, but they've been played with plenty. So I, I'm very curious to see who else is in store. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of the main stuff for the characters. Um, just a totally random bit of trivia that's kind of neat. The original uh-huh. title for the series was The Amazing Spider-Man. No idea why it changed the spectacular Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Probably just to distinguish it in some way that felt yeah. different than what we were used to. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing about the animation for this show is that Cook really wanted it to be squash and stretch style. And if you're not really sure what that means, it's basically cartoon characters that are allowed to squash and stretch. So if you think of a cartoon character's face, depending on the style of animation, sometimes that face will always sort of fit into the same shape. And the expressions on the face will change to convey emotion, but the shape of the head, the shape of you know, the bone structure and all that doesn't really change. Squash and stretch is what you would find very exaggerated in things like Looney Tunes um, or a lot of old Hanna-Barbera cartoons where they emphasize and exaggerate emotion by literally changing the shape of faces. And what this means for a show like Spider-Man, where there's a lot of action, is that the entire body does this. So when Spider-Man might jump up vertically, they might stretch the body a little bit. And this show doesn't do it in incredibly egregious ways, so you don't necessarily think about it when it's happening. But if you pay really close attention to the way that Spider-Man moves, there is some squashing and some stretching when he jumps and when he lands and just in the way that they react to things you can really tell when he's in costume reacting to things because the shape of his head will slightly change as opposed to just his eyes but uh, I I think it actually serves the show really well and it's funny to think that they weren't doing this for Spider-Man shows prior but I mean if we go back and watch more Amazing Friends they didn't do this you Mm -hmm. know the the shape of those bodies and the shape of those faces stayed the same and just subtly introducing that into this show makes a big difference yeah it's it is it is really interesting and I think like it's 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 crazy watching this show like right after we've been watching Amazing Friends because it's Mm -hmm. such a stark difference in how they handle not just not just the animation but like the voice acting too just everything Um, but like every Everything is just so much more like natural and free flowing. And like, I think 
the way that you see the action in the animation, like the fact that it, nothing ever really feels choppy, you know, yeah. like it always, even if you're not getting these exaggerated squash and stretch that you might get in other shows, like it always feels fluid. It always feels yeah. very clean. Right. It's it's done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Cook even, even said he, you know, he really wanted it to be a two-dimensional Spider-Man that moved in a way that we hadn't really seen him move in animation before. He said, I thought Sam Raimi set the bar of how he should move. And I haven't seen that in animation. So they were really trying to emulate or at least sort of have the flavor of the way that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man moved. Yeah. One of the ways that they did this that we've seen on other shows, like they kind of went in the opposite direction. So a lot of shows that that we've watched, they have a lot of like heavy lines on character designs. They try to match the comic designs, which are like super muscly and like sometimes kind of like trying to be like a little more like realistic to human anatomy. (laughs) Like the 90s show. Like the 90s show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Except that human anatomy on that show is that everyone's a bodybuilder. Right. Um, (laughs) My my shoulders are also six feet wide. (laughs) (laughs) But this show kind of recognized how that hindered uh, animation for Spider-Man because Spider-Man is a character that moves a lot so mm-hmm. um you have to be able to make a move fluidly and probably like in a movie like you can you you have a little more room to to make that happen even with some more uh, extravagant designs but when you're on a tv show budget um you have to kind of find a way to have that balance where you can have them move fluidly but still like have have the designs have them like look like people you know yeah so their compromise here was to have very simple and stylistic designs which is something that's kind of a a sometimes kind of a knock against this show it was something that i didn't like about it when i first started watching it and didn't really appreciate until i learned more about the making of it but uh what cook says is that if we had done what a lot of past shows had done um, with a lot of detail on spider-man we wouldn't get him to move and he would have really limited movement if you distill him down to what is essential and iconic and classic it allows the animators at light speed to move him all the ways he needs to move it also allows our storyboard artists to work faster as well sure so like this really like kind of flat way that these characters are drawn Mm-hmm. It essentially like just, you know, was a time saver. But I think it also gives this show a really unique flair to it. Like it doesn't look like any other Spider-Man show before or after. Or really like, even though that, that the kind of blocky like flat designs were in like in the mid and late 2000s, like this show still looks very distinct from any other show on TV, I feel like. It, I, it does. I'm I'm fascinated by the character designs in this show because it, it does remind me of other shows, but it's not the same as any other show. So like, as I was watching it, I was like, I'm getting, I'm like getting the feeling of some other show and I can't think of what it is just based on the designs. And it really is sort of this slice of television animation that existed at a very specific time. Did you ever watch, um, this is one of my favorite cartoons. <laughs> um, did you ever watch the Jackie Chan Adventures. Uh, yes, I did. I did. I, yeah. First off, I just fucking love that show. It's so good. <laughs> and it used to be on Netflix and it's not anymore. And I'm so mad about it. <laughs> ah, so good. So good. This, the first, th- that's the first show I thought of, but there were a lot of other shows at the time where you can kind of see where it fits into, into history. But this, this show specifically, the designs are, they're cleaner and they're simpler. And like you said, they're flatter. And I could see why people may not love it, but I'm just kind of fascinated by it because what they're doing is they're creating these characters that are iconic each in their own right. And they're, they're simplifying those designs so much, but you can Mm -hmm. still tell who everyone is. 
for the most part. There are some <laughs> characters that I definitely needed the introduction for. For sure. example, Eddie Brock. If if they hadn't introduced him as Eddie Brock, I would have had no idea who he was. Yeah. But you can still tell who Gwen is. You can still tell who the the Osborns are. You know, they they didn't do the strange sort of. I don't even know what their hair is supposed to be in the original know. comics and in Who the 90s knows? show. They don't do that, but they you can still tell that their hair is meant to be the same, but so yeah. much simpler. You know what I mean? Right. So they do a lot of really simple things that does boil out a little bit of the design elements for certain mm-hmm. characters. But once they're identified, you you get it. You know, they do a lot of it with body shape and, and with um, a lot of the voice acting kind of makes up for the simplified designs. Yeah. But I'm just so fascinated by by that choice. I get it now that I know why they did it. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's fascinating. I would love to to know if there were any other shows that kind of just said, you know what, we've got so many other things going for us. We can really boil these designs down, like really boil them down. Yeah, like yeah. this one did. <laughs> yeah, it se- it does seem very unique in that way, and I think it's 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 weird because I almost feel like a lot of the designs that it that it has are more akin to like comedy type shows. Like I feel like it does a little bit, not not a lot, but a little bit remind me of almost like the Steven Universe kind of school, you know, which also has very simplistic designs. And I mean, I shouldn't say that that's not an action show because it is it has a lot of like anime action, in it. but <laughs> I feel like it's not it's not an action show in the same way that this one is. No, uh, where it, it can have like slow episodes where nothing happens and it's just comedy. Um, so I think it's like really unique to see like an action superhero show go in that direction with it, which is interesting because it works so well for it. Like all the action yeah. sequences in the show are beautifully animated. I feel like I like what I've seen so far for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean they made that choice to boil the designs down to their absolute core elements so that they could do the action stuff and thus far none of it feels like smoke or or an excuse or anything like they're right. they're it seems like they did it intentionally and it's working right right having seen one episode so far for me <laughs> you know yeah i mean that's a good sign and yeah. i will say unlike the spider-man 90s pilot where the animation kind of just goes downhill afterwards it always is there's there's some dips in this show but for the most part it's always on a pretty even keel level from the pilot onwards so well it's it's the way that they developed it yeah it it paid off absolutely absolutely now these you very unique character designs i think it's worth calling out because they're such an influential part of like the show's look um that makes it so unique so it's worth calling out the actual character designer um sean cheeks galloway he has worked on a character designer (laughs) good old cheeks good old cheeks right So he worked on a designer on um, two of the Hellboy animated movies, um, one of which he worked on with Victor Cook. So he's also worked as a storyboard artist on other capacities on Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, um, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is very, very, very good. One of my favorite cartoons ever. And also kind of actually a similar art style to, to Spectacular Spider-Man, I feel like, in terms of how stylized and simple it is, but mm-hmm. in a way that works really well for it. But Great show. I always highly recommend that one. Also, Ultimate Spider-Man and the current Marvel Spider-Man that's on right now. He's worked on those, um, as well as a lot of Marvel and DC comics. I think the, co- the comics is where he's like primarily from. You can look a lot of like his uh, his like just fan art and just stuff that he's posted online that are kind of in the same vein as Spectacular Spider-Man, where it's almost kind of like chibi-like a little bit. Like everything has like <laughs> really big, cute eyes and big pupils. But yeah. it's so, uh, it's his style is so unique because it's not just like cutesy designs. Like it's like cutesy elements, but like still in legit cool 
designs, you know? Well, so one thing that's really interesting is the Crackle description for this show mm-hmm. describes it as anime-inspired, and I don't really know why they did that unless you hmm. ran into something that specifically cited anime as an inspiration. I, I don't know why they yeah labeled it that way because it doesn't have that much in common with what you would associate to be anime right i think that was an odd choice too and i, I wonder how much of it was that they like didn't actually watch it they just kind of looked at some of the screenshots <laughs> from it or like wow they have, they have big, big eyes, eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's interesting crackle i I recommend it to watch the show. I don't recommend reading the descriptions for it because all the episode descriptions are stupidly spoilery. They're creatively <laughs> written. Like someone who wrote it was yeah. having fun, but it'll just literally be like in this episode, Peter learns the truth about X and it's like, Oh, okay. You find that Sweet. out again, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that said, something that cook said about the designs is that, they allowed for more of what he calls a Hong Kong flair, which uh, he, he he defines that. It's not a phrasing that I've ever heard of, but no. he, de- he defines that as um, being over the top movements with the look of wire work, where essentially like it's like Spidey jumps 30 feet in the air and does lots of acrobatics. So I guess I guess he's sort of likening it to like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, type stuff. I, I get where like he gets movements. that from. I can see why he says that. I mean, we, we mentioned Jackie Chan Adventures. That show would probably be described by him in a similar way. You know, Jackie. Jackie Chan's character, Jackie Chan, does similar stuff where you're like, you can't jump 25 feet in the air, but you're a cartoon and this is the style. So you can, you know, and he's doing, you know, all these cool, quick, exaggerated, fast paced sort of kung fu moves. And in this case, it's cool, quick, fast paced Spider-Man moves. Yeah, right. That is something that I, I do like about it. I think Spider-Man's movements in this show are, are really on point. Yeah. So the, uh, the uh, this is just like kind of interesting because so the 90s show had uh, had a guy from Aerosmith do the theme song, right? <laughs> the Did show it? it? <laughs> <laughs> spider blood, spider blood, radioactive spider blood. This uh, show has a little bit, little bit more to its uh, theme song than that. What? It is by an actual existing band, an indie alt-rock band called The Tenderbox. They do the theme song. Um, they do have a couple of albums. Um, so just like felt worth mentioning them because they are like a band that exists. Yeah. Um, but this song is definitely their biggest hit. Like if Check you go to them their... out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if you go to their MySpace page, like they have two singles and then this song, like the extended version oh. of the song. So, you know, um, but Hey, it's cool. They're embracing like what they've yeah. done. Um, and you can watch the extended version of it on the, uh, on that first attack of the lizard DVD. And also on the, uh, the series Blu-ray that I have that I recommend it's a good Blu-ray set. So that's kind of the main stuff. The only two bits, other two bits of trivia were just like recent, recent ish quotes from cook and Weissman that I thought were like, Oh, I know the first one makes me really sad. Both of them, (laughs) both of them are are, are really sad, but I think really I I shed a good light on like what they really were trying to accomplish. Cook said in a very recent interview, I think like last year, um, he said, we set out to make the animated Spider-Man show. The one that fans would say, even 20 years later, is the definitive Spider-Man. It makes me sad because they they weren't able to do that just sort of culturally. But I, I think you have to think that way when you're creating. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you have to think, you know, everybody everybody identifies the 90s show as the Spider-Man cartoon. But guess what? We're going to make the Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah. I don't know that you. I don't know that you'll ever reach success without thinking that way. So I'm glad they were thinking that way. It just yeah. makes me so sad that that's <laughs> like a, explicitly how he describes it. And I think it. You know, I think I think it could have had it, sure. had it been allowed to run because it actually had made it made really good really good ratings when it was on. Like, yeah. it was a successful show. I wonder. Do you think with the way that television 
is changing and the way that we consume television changing so drastically, will we encounter shows like this for for established properties that get reinvented and redone? Will we experience new versions of shows that will become their respective the animated series? Like, will, will there be a Batman show that will be identified as the Batman show after the 90s show? I don't think so, not because of in terms of quality, but in terms of like how we consume media now, like you were saying. I think because it's much harder to have a cultural moment, you can still have it like with movies because everyone has to see movies in theaters at the same time. Or premium television. What's up, HBO? (laughs) Yeah, but even then, even then, I've I've seen a lot of a lot of like TV people kind of saying that like Game of Thrones even might be kind of like the last of its kind because oh i could see that it's going to be real hard to recapture that it's really hard for a tv watching because we're so fragmented yeah like you're never gonna have never again there's no possible way you're ever gonna have that one show that everyone is watching like we used to even even as recent as like 2005 you know i I think i don't think it's gonna if, if it is going to happen, it's not going to happen for another, like, decade or decade and a half. And if it does happen, it'll happen because, here's my soapbox, because every freaking thing wants its own streaming service. <laughs> if that bubble bursts, it's then we burst. will end up, it's, it's definitely going to burst. But if that happens, then I think we will end up at a place where the field is at least cleared somewhat for a cultural standard to be redefined. But uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. The water yeah. the water cooler is no longer. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. I know. It, it it's in yeah, some it's, ways. In other it ways is, it's fine. Right. It's it's cool that we have so much choice, but it yeah. sucks that like it's it's much harder to bond over things and you can never have like it sucks that there's really it's it's going to be really hard to ever be a creator that like creates something that has like so much influence on culture again you know what i mean yeah, like, it's, it's, it's always going to have an influence on a subculture but you can't have yeah. the influence across everyone like you used to you know right <laughs> well anyway <laughs> this is another <laughs> another quote that's that's cool i think it's i, I thought the first half of it is first meant is worth mentioning because i think it gives a really good insight onto like greg weissman's like point of view on how he makes shows and the second half is uh just makes me very sad <laughs> 2014 interview with weissman he said um we had what we called the five c's we wanted the series to be contemporary but still classic and iconic which he puts like makes the C an iconic like the hard C one of those C's. So a little bit of a cheat there. But it's where he lost me. But uh, I'll, I'll hang in there. I'll hang in. <laughs> yeah. Um. So those three, and then also wanted to create a Spidey corner of the Marvel universe that was cohesive and coherent. So that's how he writes things. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> but uh, our hope was to do about five seasons interspersed with a few dvd movies to cover peter's junior and senior years of high school this was uh then as our audience aged with us we do direct to dvd movies to cover his college years and so on and so on i could have literally done that character and the supporting cast forever i really admire the way that they approached creating this show Mm-hmm. I really, really do. And it's it, it's not like they were thinking in a far-fetched manner because there are properties that have continued along that route. I mentioned the 90s Batman show. That show did that. It, mm-hmm. You know, they had a theatrical release movie mm-hmm. that was part of that universe. And this could have done the same thing if its circumstances were different, it seems. Yeah, yeah. It, it sucks. And, and knowing like Greg Weissman, which again, we'll get into like 
who a little bit dig, dig deeper into who he is and what he's sure. done. But I know from his other stuff that like he's a very deep thinker into what he creates and. I don't want to say he plans ahead as in like he's very strict about his plans and like outlines to the end or everything, but in terms of that, like he has, he always has ideas that go on like very, yeah. very, very, very far in advance. Like he knows points that he eventually wants to get to, even if it's like something that won't happen for years and years and years, which is something I really admire about him. Yeah. Which makes, always makes it sad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it makes it sad for any creator when you, when you, know that they were kind of cut short potentially mm-hmm. like right at their prime especially like at this show when <laughs> you know the way that he mines materials even in the just this first episode like you can tell uh, he's just making he's he, he could make every deep cut that you'd ever want yeah <laughs> i wish that i wish the climate had been such that he could have and, and maybe it was and i'm just putting that on whatever climate it was but i wish that he could have continued his storytelling through a comic book or something yeah. Or a series of, you know, paperbacks or, or whatever. Because you know he had a vision for all five of those seasons. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. On that downer note. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is the beginning. We're at the we're at the beginning of something great. So yes. let's dive into the first episode of this show. Let's do it. So like we said, you can stream this for free on Crackle. Um, if you do want like your own copy of it forever in case Crackle just mysteriously takes it off, it is available for digital pur- purchase across most platforms. Um, you can also buy it on multiple DVD sets and Blu-ray sets. Um, I highly recommend the uh, Complete Series Blu-ray set. has a couple of really good extras on it, like some behind-the-scenes featurettes that, that are really, really good. And it's just a, it looks really great on Blu-ray. So highly recommended to get that if you're, if you're a fan of the show. Nice. So we have our signature IMDb synopsis for this episode. This episode is, of course, The Spectacular Spider-Man Season 1, Episode 1, and it is titled Survival of the Fittest. IMDb says, Summer is over for Peter Parker and school is ready to start, both literally and in the real world of crime fighting, as Spider-Man faces his first real challenge, the Enforcers, and his first real supervillain, Vulture. The original air date for this episode was March 8th, 2008. Uh, like we said, this is written by its creator, Greg Weissman. So he's one of my favorite creators ever. Um, he's he's great. So a little bit about his history. He started out, this is crazy to me, in college and grad school. He was already working with the editorial department of DC Comics and co-wrote a Captain Adam arc with uh, Carrie Bates. Jesus, what? <laughs> what? I feel like it's a case where like he was probably kind of a wonderkind and... <sighs> They recognize his genius early because the only way I can be at peace with this is to know that he's, he was a prodigy and Mm -hmm. just like an absolutely exceptional human. (laughs) Otherwise I hate myself. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, he was also, uh, uh, yeah, he was also very young when he was working at Disney and pitched uh, the show, little known show, uh, called Gargoyles. Oh, uh, I've never heard of that one. (laughs) (laughs) It is one of my favorite shows. It's a fantastic show and it's kind of, I, I feel like it's like his magnum opus. Like if you want to know like what, how, how Greg Weissman's brain works, it's a really good, like Rosetta Stone for him because every show that you watch by him sort of like you can, you can get the connections back to Gargoyles in it. Uh, gotcha. Great show. Highly worth watching. There's a lot of Gargoyles references in Spectacular Spider-Man as well. So huh. um, that'll be fun to call out. Well, uh, look forward <laughs> to our spinoff podcast about Gargoyles, where Derek finally gets me to watch that show through a podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Derek's like, oh, no, my plans. They're out. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> He's know? on to me. <laughs> 
Um, so his, his other uh, big show that every pretty much everyone's probably have heard of, um, he was the developer and showrunner of Young Justice. Oh my gosh, why is this guy's heart broken so frequently? I know, you know at least Young <laughs> Justice was able to come back. Like, yeah, yeah, able yeah, to get yeah. it back, which I don't think is possible to happen. Uh, with Spectacular Spider-Man because of how licensing works for right. that. So. He also was a developer and showrunner of a show called Max Steel, which I watched a little bit of and it wasn't very good. But That's um, <laughs> that's my experience. Like I was going to say, like, well, I think I watched a little bit of that, but I wasn't into it. <laughs> yeah, no. I think that, mm, yeah. Uh, right. He's great, though, uh, <laughs> despite that. Yeah. <laughs> he was also the story editor on the second season of Witch. Um, Vayler, remember that, didn't really watch much of it, I though. don't even know what that is, I don't think. Yeah. Um, he was also the executive producer for the first season of Star Wars uh-huh. Rebels. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Good show. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, um, he's been a writer on tons and tons of shows um, and directed DVD movies. Um, he was a writer. Uh, he, I think he was the solo writer of Bionicle, The Mask of Light. Oh, wow. Um, he, he wrote on Buzz Lightyear's A Star <sighs> Command. Yep. Did you watch that show? I did I not. definitely watched that show. I don't think I had. Was it a WB show? Mm, no. It would have been. I think it was ABC. on uh, ABC. Yeah, I, I remember it fondly. I don't know if it was actually good, but I have very fond memories. A lot. Of, I've noticed a lot of people, uh, a lot of big people have worked on that show, actually. So it probably was good. I, seeing that he's connected, I think I'm not surprised because when we get into the cast, which, you know, we'll do in a moment here. I, I just there's so many. Well, it is a very tangled web, I would say. <laughs> and you just run into the same people over and over, similar to yeah. what we were seeing with the uh amazing friends web right like we just kept running into the same people working on the same shows right seems like this is the you know mid 2000s version of that <laughs> yeah i would i would say so especially with the, yeah the voice actors we'll see a lot of people we recognize <laughs> yep but he's also he's also written on the men in black series Love kim possible um great show um gem which means that he wrote with uh the uh the writer of the uh mr frump and sunfire episodes yeah uh, he also is a novelist as well. In addition oh. to a, uh, he's written. In addition to being a comic book writer, he's also uh, currently writing a series called Reign of the Ghosts, which I've not yet read, but I plan to at some point. Hmm. Um, and he's currently for people who are into Magic the Gathering, which most of my friends are a lot. Um, <laughs> he's writing a Magic <laughs> the Gathering novel uh, called War of the Spark Ravinica. But yeah, yeah. So he's a very talented guy, and like I said, I I haven't seen every single thing that he's done, but every time I've seen something that he has done. Outside of Max Steel, I've always loved it a lot. So yeah, this seems like uh, seems like somebody I need to fill out my viewing for because yeah. the stuff I've seen I really enjoy. Some of this you've recommended to me. Mm-hmm. Some of it I've just been meaning to check out because it's beloved stuff. Like Kim Possible is a good example. Never seen it, but I don't think what? I've ever met anybody who doesn't love it. <laughs> Ooh, I had you no know? idea because I feel like that show was right up your alley. So probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Kim Possible, they also didn't have pupils, did they? Uh, oh, I don't did think they? they did. I don't think they did. No, you're if right. If they didn't right. have pupils, their eyes are handled very similarly. Yeah, yeah. They're, they don't have, like, the gigantic irises that they do on the show. Well, sure. But, um, but yeah, I don't think they had pupils on, the, hmm. on it either. Interesting. There's really no connection there other than he worked on both, but... <laughs> 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 Otherwise, their styles are very different. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> So the episode was directed by Victor Cook, um, unsurprisingly, since we've been talking about these guys so much. He developed and is currently supervising director on Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which actually a number of the the cast from this show voice characters for or have done voice work for. And you'll see that with a number of the, the series that these two have worked on. Victor Cook also was the supervising director of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. 
Yep. Great show. Which is a very good show. <laughs> he directed on Lilo and Stitch the series, also on Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. The Legend of Tarzan, which is funny because I just talked about how they took a few of those episodes and turned it into a, quote, sequel movie. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and uh, on one episode of Young Justice. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, uh, Weissman modeled Young Justice's Artemis character after Victor Cook's daughter, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah, buds. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of characters in this. There episode. are approximately a thousand characters introduced <laughs> in this episode, and we are going to talk about some of them in some depth, and other ones we will literally just mention that they exist. Yeah, here's the we'll thing: try to keep ourselves on track. <laughs> there's an insane amount of them we're talking about, and we're still maybe talking about only half of them. There's still a lot of them that yeah. appear that either like aren't explicitly named or like only get one line. There's a, a, most of the ones that I think we're going to hold off are people that do get like future storylines. So like a focus episode, we'll call them out more directly, or we'll just list off episodes even if they don't get like a, even if they're not like a main, main recurring character, like because they don't get a focus episode, it's probably the best point to kind of call them out. So it's going to be a weird selection of them. uh, But trust us, if you hear a character you love that we didn't talk about, like we didn't talk about their actor, because the cast is also super, super stacked on the show. Oh, yeah. So don't worry. We will talk about them on a future episode when they're more in the spotlight. So. (laughs) All right. So obviously we have... Peter Parker slash Spider-Man introduced in the first episode of a Spider-Man series. And this is probably one of the characters we will talk a decent amount about um, because it's (laughs) Spider-Man kind of important. So (laughs) this version of Spider-Man is portrayed by Josh Keaton, um, who is the voice of many things, obviously, Um, but recently was the voice of Shiro in Voltron Legendary Defender, which is a phenomenal show that everybody should watch. It's just really, really good. And also lots of other things. So he also um, voiced a number of characters in various DC animated and video game properties, such as Green Lantern, the animated series. I actually think he was Hal Jordan in that. Um, DC's Superhero Girls, which is pretty big. Justice League Action, which I don't know that I know off the top of my head. I, I know. I haven't, I haven't watched it. It was more of like a like a retro kind of Justice oh, League show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Neat. Cool. Yeah. But also Lego DC supervillains and Infinite Crisis video games and lots and lots of other things. Um, frequently, he's he's doing the voice of Hal Jordan. There are a couple other characters that he kind of does regularly, but um, sort of a regular voice in DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, he also voiced Norman Osborn in 2017's Spider-Man animated series, as what well as weird. What a weird change. <laughs> well, and. A lot of these cast members did voices in that 2017 Spider-Man animated series. Yeah. And I guess we saw that, right? Like once you're connected to some of these things, you sort of end up in other ones. But typically, you know, you wouldn't be playing the main hero and then switching to one of the main villains. (laughs) Yeah. So like they're so different because Josh Keaton is so good at being like the youthful Peter Parker. So imagine him as Norman Osborn. Like, I know. (laughs) I I mean, and I I don't I know literally nothing about that show, so I don't even know what to imagine for that. So I don't know. You know, what's funny is that he also other Spider-Man things that are a little lesser known. He was also Electro in the PS4 Spider-Man. 
Oh. And I want to say, I'd have to cross-check this, but I think he was Harry in the Raimi Spider-Man games, like a couple of them. I think James oh, interesting. Frank, I think James Franco might have done like one of them, huh. but I think he was Harry in like maybe like one and two or something like that in those video games. Hmm. <laughs> so he's got his paws all over Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, sure does. And like, yeah. So he also will end up being the Green Goblin in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, which I am super pumped about. Yeah. Cannot wait. And he voiced Ant-Man in the Ant-Man miniseries, which is very, very small, but well, (laughs) that's funny. Uh, Very, very short, but uh, really, really good. And I recommend checking it out just because it's really unique. It's all actually on, I think, his YouTube. Oh, it's like minute and a half to two minute little episodes. And the animation is very, very cool. So I would I would recommend checking that out just because it's it's very different. Neat. Yeah. He also voiced young Hercules in Disney's Hercules, but did not voice young Hercules in the animated series, which was literally just about young Hercules. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I was like, when I saw that he was young Hercules, I was like, oh, cool. He did that show too. And he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, he's he's in a ton of other stuff, like we've mentioned. Uh, some of those are the New Kids on the Block animated TV series, uh, the Back to the Future animated TV series, The Secret World of Alex Mack, The Young and the Restless, Winx Club, Transformers Prime, 2016's Ben 10, and a number of Scooby-Doo properties. He's all over the place, huh? Yeah. And that's bare. <laughs> I mean, that's barely scratching the surface, as we'll see with many, many of these cast members. Yeah. I like him. I think he does a really good job. I love him. Love him. Oh, and you know what? I didn't even didn't even think about this. He's been he's continued to be Spider-Man in a couple of other games too. He oh, was, cool. He was, he was Ultimate Spider-Man in Shattered Dimensions, and he was also um, like Prime Six One Six Spider-Man in, in Edge of Time mm, as well. Okay. Which I mean, he's just. He's got one of those, like, he's got a very, like, almost quintessential Spider-Man voice for me. Like, It works some, really well. It works really, really well. Like, he's a good actor anyway, but, like, he mm-hmm. also just naturally has a really great Spider-Man voice to him. Yeah. Like you said, it's youthful. Like, he does that well. Mm-hmm. And, and in, an, in a sort of authoritative, confident way, you know, which works really, really well, especially for this series. Because mm-hmm. we'll see in this first episode that this series deals with a brand new sort of spider-man who's <laughs> navigating confidence right. through his powers so right right uh, it works it works really really well yeah and it's funny to be in contrast with watching amazing friends right before this oh where, man which i love dan gilvazon as a performer he's such a fun <laughs> funny actor but yeah. he is <laughs> his his voice as a peter parker is weird <laughs> right it's not uh it's not ranking very high for right. me as far as peter parker portrayals go right right <laughs> Another character. Now, this is almost kind of the opposite because this is one of the few actors that don't have a lot of voice roles to her. Yeah. Um, so May Parker, Aunt May, she's portrayed by Deborah Strang, which Spectacular Spider-Man is probably her longest television gig. She really hasn't done a lot of other like main roles other than mm-hmm. this. Um, she's appeared in like a handful of soap operas, um, including General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, and Port Charles. So like, she's probably known to somebody. Like, if you... There's plenty of people who watch soap operas, but right. just not much of a voice actor, which is interesting. And she's an interesting Aunt May. Like, I like her, but she, is a very, she does have a very, very distinct voice. Yeah. I'm very curious to see this Aunt May more. Mm-hmm. Um, largely because I'm, I'm fascinated by her character design. <laughs> it's a really yeah. interesting character design. It's like, uh, it's, it's very inspired by, like, 
elements of Asian dress and fashion and style. Yeah. But Aunt May isn't Asian in this season, in this series. <laughs> it's, it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's like, just like weird things like the, the, like the hair, the two hair strands that she has right. like, on her ears. Like, it's just, I'm not, and I'm not really sure like what, what it's supposed to be. It's, it's weird because she's like drawn to be this weird combo of like an old lady, but like, she doesn't also doesn't really look like an old lady. Like the only no. thing that makes she has her look white like hair. Old, yeah. The only thing that makes her look old is the white hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but and her half moon is... spectacles. <laughs> right, right. It's 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 a very interesting design choice for her. It's one yeah. of, that's one of the one of the ones that I don't know work for me as well. Even though I like this version of Aunt May a lot. Yeah, like, her design is strange. <laughs> her design is definitely strange. I am eager to see where she'll fall in in my sort of unofficial rankings of Aunt May portrayals because I do like what I've seen from this one episode. I, I like it so far, so we'll right. we'll see how 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 that works out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, another character that we end up getting in this very first episode is Gwen Stacy, which is cool. I don't know that I knew that going in. I didn't know who oh. the supporting cast would really be. So, nice. um, yeah, we get Gwen Stacy. She is portrayed by Lacey. Is it Chabert? Chabert, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> she's portrayed by Lacey Chabert. Who, if you don't know by name, you absolutely know by face and credits because she is Gretchen Wieners from Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably just put that and everybody's like, oh, yeah. I know her. <laughs> My dad invented toaster strudel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also, fun fact, uh, she was the original voice of Meg Griffin in Family Guy, which I forgot. I forgot that was a thing. I forgot yeah. that it wasn't always Mila Kunis, but I knew yeah. that at one point. Because <laughs> it was only for the first, like the first season yeah. was super short. And then I think she was there, I want to say for the second season too, but. I don't even think she was there that long. Yeah, maybe not. Or maybe it was like the first half of the second season or something. She was maybe. there for more than six episodes, but it wasn't more than like 13. Like well, it, It's <laughs> funny too, because when I picture Meg Griffin, not that I'm like a huge Family Guy person, but when I think of Meg Griffin, I, I Mila Kunis's voice is so clear. Yeah. It's so obviously her. And so it's just such a uh, strong association. Mm-hmm. I I honestly struggle to hear Lacey Chabert's voice come out of Meg Griffin. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's weird. And, it, you know, I think, like, yeah, I'm also not, like, a giant, like, Family Guy fan. But yeah. I, I was for a while. But I, I, it, I don't think her voice really I, – I think the character wasn't, like, figured out until after it she couldn't already have left. Been. It couldn't like, have been because the way that Mila Kunis plays her is so specific to all of all of her her behavior. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, I think it was. I think it was when Meg was still just a very generic, like yeah. I'm a teen girl in this family sitcom. Like that's yeah. it. So yeah, which <laughs> that's made more interesting. Sense. I wonder if Lacey Chabert didn't work for them or if she decided to leave and Mila Kunis just like commanded it. You know I what I mean? I don't remember. I feel like the, I knew the story at one point, but I don't remember because the, the weird thing is that Lacey Chabert is not credited in that first season at all. Like oh, there's weird. no voice credited for Meg. Oh, so like that doesn't which, make me think that it went well. Exactly. That's that. Ooh. But, but, but she did come back later because they had an episode where they like traveled back in time to the, to the pilot. Oh, that's and the, funny. And, and Lacey Chabert came back to voice Meg Griffin, like as a joke for it. Oh, so, well, good for her. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, it could have been a thing where like, yeah. it was on bad terms and they like repaired it or it was never bad terms. It was just a weird contract thing. Yeah. And then she just didn't re-up it at a certain point. Sure. So. Sure. Well, um, there are going to be young justice 
threads throughout and she is is certainly part of that she played zatanna in young justice and also in justice league action which is coming up again yeah cool Cool. and this is just because i'm entertained by this she (laughs) appears in like a ton of television movies like i don't know if they're hallmark or lifetime specifically but tons of those types of movies and my mom knows who she is specifically because of that (laughs) And she's like, yeah, she's in these all the time. She must just love doing them. <laughs> it's like, I, I guess. <laughs> okay. I suppose. I would walk in every once in a while and I'd be like, is this the same one? She's like, no, no, no. It's just her again. <laughs> all right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do those movies include the uh, Christian Mingle movie? Because she oh, was in I don't know. that. She... I am not sure if that's one of those. She's she's. Ab- I know she's about to be in like a four part well, not four part, like a quadrilogy Jeez. of movies that are like crossword mystery or something. So I'm okay. assuming that she's she's basically like the she's going to be the manifestation of like cozy mysteries on Lifetime Television. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which not a bad thing to be, you know. No, she could I mean, end no. up becoming sort of a cult television figure hey. if she's doing four of those movies. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if no, they go dude. well, sign on for four more, girl. Yeah, like raking in the Candace Cameron bucks. Like, right, that's... exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But good for her. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the other, the kind of like trifecta of, of Peter's friend group, um, rounding that out is Harry Osborne, um, which in this show is portrayed by James Arnold Taylor, who plays him very high-pitched. Um... This, which which threw me off, because when yeah. I looked at what he'd done before, I was like, no, that that yeah. can't be right. <laughs> it's really interesting. So he he was Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Plo Koon in Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is not at all Harry Osborn. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just not Harry Osborn. It's specifically meant to sound like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan to a degree. Yeah. So it's like nothing, n- nothing could have prepared me for the fact that he does both. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. I mean, hey, that's what makes... Voice actors, good, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> so much respect. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, he was also Obi-Wan in Star Wars B- Battlefront 2 and a bunch of other properties. So he's, I guess he's probably kind of like the go-to Obi-Wan voice. Yeah. He also voices Spider-Man himself in a number of video games, which I can buy. He has yeah. kind of that 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 like sort of like high pitched version of, of the voice. Mm-hmm. In, uh, Lego Marvel superheroes, Marvel Avengers Battle for Earth, Spider-Man Friend or Foe, um, and also Spider-Man Battle for New York. I think are a number of those mobile games. I know Battle for New York is, Marvel Avengers is, Spider Man Friend or Foe was not. I only That's know a that. platform game, right? Yeah. Or a console game rather. Yeah, it's not very good. The only thing good about that game was the part where Spider Man is rubbing like has Venom in like a chokehold and is rubbing him like, <laughs> giving him a noogie and at, tells Venom who's your daddy. Oh, that happens in that game too. That's There's a lot of who's game. your daddy between those two. Mm-hmm. I think the clip mm. that you saw me post is from that game. Gotcha. Or at least yeah. daddy. They they might yeah. not say it specifically. You know, that yeah. phrase, but... Venom, Venom you know. likes his daddies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned that Eddie Brock is in this series. I also mentioned I would have had no idea it was him. So I'm glad they said it. He is portrayed by Ben Diskin, who, again has done a number of things so does the voice of gonzo in 2018's version of muppet babies which is is funny to me i'm I'm gonna have to look that up (laughs) um because gonzo's got a pretty specific voice (laughs) yeah or at least a sort of 
kooky voice if it's not specifically meant to sound like the original. He also does a lot of English dubbing for uh, anime properties. So he is the voice of Bon in Seven Deadly Sins, um, as well as voices in Agretzico, Sirius the Jaeger, Macard, Boruto, The Next Generations, and lots and lots and lots and lots of others. Um, so I, I imagine that he's probably a staple at a number of conventions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it I seems like he probably would be. <laughs> I feel want to say he might have actually been at the convention that I was at. Oh, for real? No, that's a lie. It was Stephen Blum. I'm confused. Oh, Stephen okay. Blum. But gotcha. he's, I feel like he's on that same level, though. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's been at conventions that I was at and I just wouldn't have known, you know, yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, he also voiced Flash Thompson, interestingly enough, um, and a number of additional voices in, again, 2017 Spider-Man animated series. He also, this is mostly just because I like Pokemon stuff, <laughs> but he was the voice of Professor Oak in the Two Professors Pokemon Go event alongside 2017's Peter Parker, Robbie Damond, who voiced Professor Willow. Just kind of a fun connection. That's <laughs> really cool <laughs> yeah yeah i like that i was like oh this is fun i'm gonna throw that in there and then i saw that the other professor was a peter parker <laughs> very small world it seems like <laughs> yeah yeah i, mean, I, I didn't realize you, you got your foot dug in in voice acting then you're just gonna yeah. like, get you, you can touch every franchise eventually for I guess. real gosh <laughs> Ooh, wish i were a better actor <laughs> yeah right <laughs> So, sort of speaking of Flash Thompson earlier, um, this version of Flash Thompson is voiced by Joshua Labar. He's another one kind of like with uh, with Aunt May and uh, Deborah Strang, where he doesn't have a ton of credits. He's not he's one not as prolific of a voice actor as most of these people are. Spectacular is probably his longest gig. He did appear in like about a half dozen episodes of Entourage and and like guest starring appearances on other TV shows. But mm-hmm. this is kind of his only main role. It looks like yeah, which is which is strange. But um, I don't know. I, I I don't know how much Flash Thompson appears is it a lot it's a high school show so i imagine he's he's there for at least a while oh yeah yeah okay okay yeah. you'll see you'll see more of him he's a yeah yeah, you'll, I'm not going to say more. <laughs> That's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um, we get a number of explicit villains and then also people that we know become villains. We also get a number of staple adult characters in Peter's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot. It's like uh, almost a dozen. So we're going to touch on some of them. Uh, first of which is Norman Osborn, portrayed by Alan Rakins, who was um, more known for on-screen television, I think. Uh, actually, I would say definitely so, because he was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Emmy for his portrayal of Douglas Brackman in the 80s and 90s legal drama L.A. Law, which um, I'm going to end up in a rabbit hole about because it seems like it was a, an interesting show given when it came out. Yeah, I've heard I've always heard the same thing. I think that was one of those like really big like crime yeah. shows that was just very influential to TV. It um, seems like it. Like yeah. it just tackled things. Like it just yeah. was like, we're going to tackle this and here it goes. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, whoa. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I'm not like a huge court drama type person, but uh, I, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and then a show I actually did watch. Uh, he was Dharma's father, uh, Larry Finkelstein in Dharma and Greg. Huh, okay. Yeah. So he's uh, portrayed characters named Doug and uh, Finkelstein. Just, Whoa. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's like significant or anything, but. <laughs> hey, 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 good company, I guess. Yeah, right. I'm fascinated <laughs> that he hasn't done more voice acting because his voice is amazing. I yeah. love his voice so much. It's so distinct and so like 
smooth. I just really dig it. Yeah, I'm yeah. just shocked that he just hasn't done more. Which I mean, it might be a choice. I don't know, but yeah, when I run into to people in these casts that have only done a few voice acting things, I have to just imagine like they just don't like working in a booth, maybe. Yeah, because it is. I mean, that it's a very particular kind of acting. And, yeah, and people, you're not you're not getting to interact with actors as much, and you're kind of like a little bit more solo. And it's a different type of energy that you have to put sure. into it. That I don't. I can totally see like not being very fun <laughs> for some people if that's yeah. not really what you want to do. So yeah, he he does well, but I could see if if you don't like it, why would you keep doing it? <laughs> right, right, right. He doesn't need it clearly. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> This character is not a major character in this show um, at this point, but I just wanted to call out because the actress, it's like crazy that she's on this show. Um, So Jean DeWolf, who's just like a cop in this episode, you just see her super briefly. I don't even know if she's like named. Definitely not. Yeah. Because I had, I, I like, I was paying so close attention because I was like, this is a really significant voice actor. She must have been a named character. No, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's named like later, I guess. Or right. maybe she's only ever named in the credits. I don't know. I but don't know. it is it is Jean DeWolf from the comics. She is portrayed by Irene Bedard, who, uh, if you don't know, I didn't know her name, but uh, you will know who she is. Mm-hmm. She is the voice of Pocahontas in Disney's the Pocahontas. <laughs> like the voice of Pocahontas uh-huh. and also its sequel. And also she reprised the role uh, when she appeared in Ralph Breaks the Internet. Which is great. I'm so glad. That, <laughs> one, I'm glad that they, I'm assuming they approached her. And two, I'm so glad that she opted to do it again. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's such a random like pull, you know, like it's mm-hmm. just because you didn't I mean, you didn't need to get her for Gina Wolf, but like it's really cool that you did. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to say about it. It's just no, like, wild. just neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just very neat. We do get a J. Jonah Jameson in this series. I don't know why we would expect anything else. And uh, he's portrayed by Darren Norris who frequently works both behind the mic and on screen. I don't think I, I definitely didn't know him by name, but then when I saw the things that he had done on screen, I was like, I know this guy. Yeah. Like I know him from the screen, not necessarily from his voice work. Although I recognize many of the things he did voice work for. So Mm -hmm. some of the things he did voice work for were Cosmo and fairly odd parents. Pretty huge. Um, He was knockout on Transformers Prime, one for you. He was Mercury Mon and uh, Sakaku Mon on Digimon Frontier, and one for me. He was a number of voices on probably one of my, like, top five favorite cartoons ever, The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. Nice, nice. Yes. This is, this, the, his live action credits are funny because I don't remember what episode it was, but <laughs> there was a point when you like thought I would watch Veronica Mars, right? Like, I was got, so certain. So confused. Yeah. Like you just <laughs> crossed over from that alternate universe where I did basically. I, yeah, I must have. I never watched Veronica Mars. I just, it's, it's, it's all on Hulu now because they're launching oh. a new season. So I watched the pilot yesterday. Loved it. Ooh, I'm going to do totally that Totally into it. Up my alley like I thought, even more than I thought because it's actually like pulpier and weirder and mm. like- than I thought. Um, so I actually am really into it. I saw ca- the character Cliff McCormick on there and I was like, I recognize this guy's voice. I recognize his face. <laughs> I don't know who the heck he is. Yeah. It wasn't until I read your notes from looking him <laughs> up that I was like, oh my God, because I think he's a really great J. Jonah Jameson. 
uh-huh. and the fact that he didn't make the connection blows my mind. So the the all the connections coming together for that for yeah. my Veronica Mars viewing the day before we're recording this podcast, I think is is just hilarious. That is pretty wild. Yeah, <laughs> like what a, what a what a coincidence. Right, right. Do you want to know which of his live action credits I recognized him from? Uh, Take a guess. The Ned's Declassified, because I nope. also knew him from that. Did you watch Big Time Rush? <laughs> I watched probably every single episode of Big Time Rush. <laughs> really? I never oh, yeah. heard about it. I never my my first time hearing about Big Time Rush was seeing a tweet from people tweeting out a character from it and just being like, "We don't get characters like this on kids shows anymore." And I was like, "What?" Weird. And then I realized that that show was on in like 2009, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay, so oh, I'm no. old, cool." I watched it. I mean, I, I mean, it's a boy band, so duh. But also, it was sort of it was sort of of the same ilk as like an iCarly or a Victorious or sure. you know that that string of shows like the All That's and whatnot yeah, had sure. a similar vibe to it and so I actually do think it's it's a pretty funny show but uh, kind of funny that like that's the thing I recognized him from <laughs> where I was like oh my gosh you're the caveman looking guy <laughs> <laughs> well like we said he uh, he's Buddha Bob on Big Time Rush Gordy on Ned's Declassified School Survival Survival Guide. That's a mouthful. And Johnny Frost on iZombie as well. And it probably yes. in addition to tons and tons of other stuff too. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> we do get a Betty Brant in this as well, um, which I'm very curious about because Betty Brant is one of those characters I never know whether to expect or not because you can you can put her in there and make her really important. You can also leave her out and like, I hate to say it, like you could, you could also just not notice that she's not there. <laughs> like, sounds terrible, but it's one of those characters where you can use her in any which way you'd like. But she is portrayed by Grey Delisle, which is a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> Grey Delisle is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in something you love, I promise. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of what you love, she's probably in it. She, as well as a couple of other people on this cast, has, you know, nearly 600 credits i mean (laughs) we'll probably have a thousand (laughs) by the time she's done and uh she is the current daphne blake in scooby-doo and she's been it since 2001 (laughs) man i love the way that scooby-doo does their cast i appreciate that a lot like they use pretty much the same cast right yeah they just sort of pass it on yeah, and it's just like when somebody decides they want to, don't want to do it anymore, then they get someone else and they continue. And it's like it doesn't matter if they're doing like a more serious take or like a more comical take. They're still yeah. going to keep that same cast that they had the year before. They've at least been – they there's been like instances where they've kind of fluctuated on it. Like I think mm-hmm. the late 90s, they kind of went back and forth on who they had. But early on and then since like around 2001, I feel like they've been very consistent about that, which is really neat. Yeah, I like it. I don't know that I would necessarily advocate for it as like a standard practice. Um, yeah. But for whatever reason, I just think it's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. I think it works for Scooby-Doo because a lot of the Scooby-Doo works when you're just like putting it in like randomly different genres and having different takes on it, but with the same yeah. characters. But other stuff like you need to have a different cast member for a different take. Yeah. Um, she also worked alongside Darren Norris on Fairly Odd Parents. She was the voice of Vicky, uh, which is hilarious to me. Just, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's such a good character. <laughs> yeah. Um, she also voiced Mandy on The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. She had very uh, prominent roles on Danny Phantom and various roles in other shows like Avatar The Last Airbender, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Shaolin Showdown, a number of DC animated properties um, where she frequently plays Catwoman and Wonder Woman and just so many others. And it's not like, it's not little parts. Like she's a prominent character in so many properties. It's incredible. (laughs) 
it's yeah it really is it's just it's wild to me <laughs> she's uh, she's just so awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and it's crazy that she's just in a like not a gigantic like i mean it's a it's an important role but it's not yeah. like a top tier role in the spider-man mythos but it's like yeah that's it's, it makes it that's what makes it so cool about this show is that like every single character whether like big or small has a pretty like big voice actor in the role yeah. and if not voice actor it's someone who's like at least very 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 talented like no yeah. one no one in this show is phoning it in well that that is a perfect segue for the next person on the list because adrian tombs who is vulture is played by robert england which also sort of a strange movie watching coincidence or i guess <laughs> I guess Veronica Mars isn't a movie, but a watching of things coincidence because Robert England is most famous for being Freddy Krueger, which is a series I just started rewatching the other night. (laughs) (laughs) But that is absolutely like what he is most well known for. Um, He was Freddy Krueger in nearly all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and uh, also portrayed Freddy on a show I didn't know exist but cannot wait to find called Freddy's Nightmares, which was a horror anthology television series. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah. When I saw that he was on the the credits at the end, I was like, holy shit. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. Just like horror icon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of and then just those are like kind of the the main people that we want to wanted to touch on but mm-hmm. tons of other characters are introduced just a real quick like run through of them we don't also meet the enforcers in this episode but they don't really get a lot to do montana is voiced by jeff bennett he's a gargoyles connection because he was brooklyn in gargoyles and i know he was also uh dexter's dad in dexter's lab as well oh wow so he's wait he's somebody another... on this list was dexter's mom i just didn't write it down if i had recognized oh, that i would have put that it? i think it might have been gray delisle actually probably i'm pretty sure it was her yeah so dexter's oh, mom shoot. and dad are this episode. <laughs> That's hey funny. everybody has done everything basically oh yeah they're all <laughs> They're all friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all hang out, probably. <laughs> hey, guys, what do we want to do next? Spider-Man? Right. Sure, sounds good. Right. <laughs> Call your part. <laughs> Tag yourself. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but he's one of two um, He's one of two Gargoyles connections. I'll just drop the other one real quick. Big man in this episode. We don't know who he actually is. He's just the shadowy guy. I have a theory, and I don't think it's that deep, but okay. <laughs> okay. I, I hope I'm wrong. Who do you think it is? I won't respond I mean, at all. I mean, I'm assuming it's Kingpin, but uh-huh. maybe I meant to think that. So we'll sure. we'll see. We'll see. So Big Man in this episode is voiced by Keith David, who on Gargoyles, he's a great voice actor in general, right? But the connection is that on Gargoyles, he was Goliath. Um, alongside Jeff Bennett, the main character. Very distinct voice, great voice actor. He's done a bunch of other stuff. He's on, been on Community. He's on They Live. Like, he's just in, in everything. Well, it's not really worth talking about him extensively because... Like, as a character in the show. Yeah, as a character in the show, only because, mostly because not only does Big Man not really do much of anything here, uh, he's also not the voice actor after this episode. They replaced Oh, him. that's so weird. Yeah, I think what, I, what I'm guessing, because the voice actor they replace him with is somebody who sounds very similar to him, similar performance. Oh. I think like he was brought in probably as a favor or something to Weissman Hmm, because I know that like he's he loves gargoyles and he's and he was very attached to that so he probably came in for the pilot but then like they just couldn't get him signed on full time for whatever reason and he gets replaced after the pilot so yeah like a mild bummer (laughs) it is because I love his voice so much. Hmm, okay. He's a great he's a great voice actor, and it seems like a really great, genuine great dude. But but yeah, just the the, the bullet points. Um, Ox is one of the enforcers. He just grunts. He doesn't have a voice actor in this episode. Fancy Dan is an enforcer. He's voiced by Phil Lamar, who also voices both Randy Robertsons, who are in this show. And he's also a really prolific voice actor. He was Samurai Jack. He was 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Lantern, he was on Mad TV, so everybody on the show is freaking prolific. Yep. We also meet Dr. Kurt and Martha Connors, Flint Marco, Alex O'Hearn, uh, Dr. Otto Octavius, <laughs> probably more people that were, so were missing. I know. Um, we're going to talk about all I'm of those a little in. M- more in depth as we, cause obviously all of them are names you probably recognize. If you don't, you will soon. Yep. <laughs> they, um, it's not a spoiler to say that they, you know, we're going to learn more about them and see them have stuff happen to them as the show goes yep. on. So we'll talk about those uh, more extensively as we get to their episodes, but God, there's so many characters in this show. <laughs> there are, <laughs> there really are. <laughs> to be fair, they burn off introducing so many in this first episode and then like you know we've got them all established now so yeah now they just can can play in their toy box it's actually pretty, pretty impressive the, the show it really is especially when you consider that like the 90s show it didn't introduce like felicia and flash and harry and and mary jane until like the episodes after the pilot so right whereas this one's like no let's introduce literally every single aspect of peter's yeah. life right right <laughs> Ooh, and they pull it off i think yep. i i think they do it well Yep. <laughs> so let's let's dive in. <laughs> so the episode, which again is uh, Survival of the Fittest, episode one, season one, <laughs> Spectacular Spider-Man, if you forgot, opens with Peter already suited up and web-slinging through New York City, which makes sense. Uh, we learn that only just recently, at some point over the summer... Peter became Spider-Man. So this is a very recent development in Peter's life. Only one day remains between the end of the summer and the school year beginning. And so Peter is basically getting his last sort of summer swinging out of the way. He's looking for something to do, hoping for some crime-fighting action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we get that pretty quickly as an alarm sounds and Spidey jumps into action. On a nearby rooftop, two men are making a getaway in what one calls a million-dollar haul. Uh, The other responds that it won't be worth as much when the big man gets his cut. Uh, But as they attempt to jump on the roof, they're confronted by Spider-Man. The the guy that isn't Flint Marco, Uh um, spoiler alert, has the funniest face. (laughs) <laughs> like it just it like yeah, doesn't does. move like it does move but it barely moves like yeah. his eyes are just ridiculous it actually kind of reminds me of like a, a more more prominent character from that jackie chan adventure show um and so that's like all i could see yeah <laughs> i was I, just like oh god <laughs> i kind of hate it but i know i know why he drew him like that knowing where the show goes okay yeah, like the the fact that his eyes are just like perfect circles, uh, <laughs> it weirds me out so much. You know what it's like? It's like t- it's like having both sides of um of the '90s Two Face face mm-hmm. where his eye never closes. Yep. <laughs> it's like stop it, just blink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Spider Man shines his spider signal on one of the men whom he identifies as Flint Marco, and we learn that the two of them have clashed a number of times over the course of the summer, which Spider-Man sort of makes fun of, like, uh, how many times are we going to meet like this, dude? Um, so I was not expecting a spider signal. <laughs> I know. I love that he, like, uses it, like, yeah. aggressively. Like, he uses that to, to as, like, a distractive tactic to, like, yeah. throw him off, it's, which is really cool. And then it's a whole, like, he makes a whole thing out of it. Like, he's asking them for, yeah. for like, like, what do you think? Is it too much? Like... He even really has like cool. a really good line where he's like, well, as somebody who gets his butt kicked by me frequently, I just want to know what you think or something right. to that effect. Right. <laughs> like, Dang, right. dude. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think this, this show is does nicely with like, it has a lot of really cool vibes and the theme song reflects this too. Like really cool, like sixties vibes, like yeah. very clearly trying to be a throwback, which I think makes it feel a little less contemporary. 
like it's a contemporary show, but it makes it feel a little more classic because it doesn't feel so huh. ingrained in the time because of those kind of little bits of like old school flair because the spider signal just is not it feels like it yeah. feels old like it does it feels like a very old school superhero thing yeah it's kind of silly but it works in this context contemporary and classic mm. almost like they had a bunch of c's in mind such <laughs> as contemporary and classic <laughs> and iconic <laughs> oh yeah that one too <laughs> Well, Spidey does end up webbing Marco up, and we cut away to a separate location where a shadowy character, later identified as the big man they were referencing, says he's seen enough and instructs his man Hammerhead to summon the Enforcers. Basically, they were watching on, like, a live feed, it seems like. Sure. And this big man has has had enough of Spider-Man's distractions. Which is when we go into the opening sequence, which I love. I love the intro sequence to this show so much. <laughs> I was trying not to pay too much attention to it, but there are very significant things that are just like prominently featured. I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I was like, me- all right, well, that'll yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's a None Spider-Man of it is a show. surprise. You know what to expect to a certain yeah. extent. <laughs> yeah, none but, of it's a surprise, but I was like, yeah. well, <laughs> I yeah. look forward to that. I yep, can't wait to yep. see how they do this. <laughs> yep, yep. Beautifully, anim- beautifully animated. I like some mm-hmm. of the stuff they actually do with the intro sequence in the second season, too. So, oh. Um, to get to that yeah okay cool. um yeah, yeah 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 but after that's over we go to the next morning where peter wakes up with confidence and excitement for the first day of school which is usually not how first day of school feels for most people nope especially for nerds <laughs> especially for nerds but this is credited to his new identity as spider-man however uh we kind of jump right into the drama because as he walks mm-hmm. down the stairs he uh overhears aunt may telling anna watson that their family is nearly out of money peter pretend yeah i'm yeah. shocked yeah oh wow <laughs> That's never been done in a Spider-Man show before. Oh, I know, but they just get to it. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I mean, I like that, like, it's it's pretty quick. T- it's a really nice, quick, like, way to acknowledge, like, Peter had an Uncle Ben that died. Like, mm-hmm. every- everyone knows it at this point. Yep. But if you happen to not know that, it's acknowledged that it happened without yeah. making a big deal out of it or anything. It also provides context for some of the things that Peter does later on in the episode. It, it provides some motivation. So it's not, you know, it's not insignificant. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I think, I mean, this, this kind of sets a lot of what he does in motion. So yeah. I think it, I think it's a nice, nice bit of pretty elegant storytelling, actually. Mm-hmm. Either way, Peter pretends to not hear as he walks by and, and hurries off to school after that. Yep. Um, we cut once again to yet another location where we see a disgruntled Adrian Toomes confronting an anxious and fucking adorable <laughs> Dr. Octave. Uh, I can't even speak. <laughs> I'm just like so enamored. <laughs> I'm so in love with this Otto Octavius. I just want to like squeeze him and like pr- like overwhelm him with anxiety and emotions. I know. I know. We only even see him. We see him for like for like 12 seconds in this episode, but Doesn't he makes matter. such he makes That's such an impression. He makes such an impression. We'll I'm talk obsessed. about like his acting and everything like that later on when he does more, but Oh my God, I love him so much. I love him so much. I just want to scare him. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to like jump out of a corner and make him pee his pants. (laughs) He's he's such a a cute little nerd. (laughs) Yeah, he really is. He really is a little bow tie and everything. Yep. Yep. So good. Uh, Um, Anyway, sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I just want to point out that prior to becoming the vulture, Adrian Toomes' eye, his pupils, they're apostrophes. Yeah, they're apostrophes. They're just straight apostrophes. Don't know. I, I mean, looked up like vulture eyes and they're not like that. Like later on, they're just drawn to be kind of typical like lizardy bird yeah. eye kind of things. Why are they apostrophes at first? It's I don't weird. know. It was really <laughs> distracting. I'm glad yeah. they didn't make it as pronounced later on because I yeah. was so distracted. I paused to look up vulture eyes. That's how distracting it was. <laughs> right. <sighs> 
Anyway, <laughs> Toombs, uh, we find out, blames Otto Octavius for, for the theft of his flight technology by Oscorp because he says, you know, Octavius was the one who arranged a meeting between Toombs and Norman Osborne where Norman Osborne got a really good, solid look at what Toombs was developing, rejected it, and then released something very similar to it shortly after. So Toombs is, like, pissed at Octavius because he's like, you should have known, like, you did this, you set this up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very Norman Osborne thing to do. And speaking of, he enters the lab to uh, support Octavius and confront Toombs. He claims that Toombs has no claim, but he's also like, hey, no one's going to believe you. If you couldn't do stuff all throughout your prime, no one's going to think that like this, this decrepit old guy has done this. He's, you're just going to look like a crazy person so which means norman definitely stole his technology i know right (laughs) but that's that's norman's thing that i yeah i I like how like he's just so utterly arrogant in this Mm -hmm. version of him i think it's pretty pretty on point yeah um like he doesn't care and he never apologizes no Um, he sure doesn't (laughs) he says explicitly (laughs) but uh but either way yeah he gets tombs kicked off of osborne's campus yeah. We do cut back to high school. Peter arrives at Midtown Manhattan Magnet High School, which is not a mouthful, <laughs> <laughs> where he meets up with Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborne, and they sort of like catch up on their summer vacation. Gwen says that she was at a science camp, which she really, really enjoyed, and Harry um, sort of had an opposite experience where he said he toured the world with Norman, which he thought was going to be really cool, um, and it ended up totally sucking because Norman ignored him, which is, you know, to be expected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, quintessential Norman. Yeah, we get this really interesting moment, too, where Harry is like, I wish that I had just stayed behind, and then we could have at least done nothing together. And, like, they do this weird thing where they they superimpose Spider-Man's face over half of Peter's face (laughs) so that we're we're sort of like, oh, but you wouldn't have done nothing. Right. It's like, it's a little, like, it's a little a little over the top like a little little bit ham-fisted like we get it a little too cute we know (laughs) a little too cute could have just like snickered or something we would have gotten it (laughs) (laughs) right it's really the only only sort of uh corny thing they do though i think Uh, no i totally agree i feel like it was trying to emulate like the 60s comics did that kind of half face Mm spider-man thing a lot but yeah yeah, it's just eh, whatever (laughs) they're trying stuff out they're trying out how it works in this pilot so makes sense it's not egregious i'm not offended yeah yeah now with this new uh, spidey enhanced confidence peter's like i can do anything including asking <laughs> out asking out mean cheerleaders so yep. he approaches sally avril and proceeds to ask her out on a date uh to which she rejects him immediately in a pretty funny moment what are you damaged is that what she says <laughs> what are you what are you damaged i can't even do her accent she i has know this, like, it's so extreme <laughs> extreme extreme new york accent <laughs> it's so good <laughs> it's it's so like over the top but i think it kind of works i mean tbh the... there should be more characters with explicit new york accents in this show and there never true. are <laughs> very true <laughs> like rhino frequently gets some sort of new york dialect but that's pretty much it for some reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but i do like like the um the the sequence that follows she's dating rand robertson mm-hmm. um he arrives with flash thompson and and sally's like like telling on peter like he tried to ask you out and rand's just like it's cool. Like. I I am really, really hoping and excited for Rand to potentially sort of be featured later in some way, shape, or form because Rand's reaction to this is like the healthiest thing ever. Right. Like he, I just, gentlemen, take notes <laughs> <laughs> because Sally gets all mad and Rand is like, it's fine that he was hitting on you. And she's like, what do you mean? It's fine. And he's like, well, what do you want to go out with him? And she's like, no. And he's like, well then no big deal. 
You know, right. like he's he's not just like inherently threatened by every other guy walking the earth. Right. Which is, you know, how it should be because you shouldn't right. have to be. Right. Good <laughs> also, job, like, Rand. Good Rand, reaction. Why are, why are you dating her? <laughs> like, I don't know. You're so much like. He seems cool. Every bit of chill that she isn't, he is. Yeah. And I hope he, I hope he, I don't know. I hope we at least continue to see him be cool. (laughs) I don't know if we even continue to see him, but I just appreciated that so much. I was like, yeah, good, good job, Rand. (laughs) Right. I know. I dig it. I think that whole, the whole moment's good. Um, Despite that, he's still friends with all the bullies. um, I know. So, including Flash Thompson. So, Peter does stand up to Flash, who's making fun of him. But he still can't, like, I guess he can't do crazy black backflips and stuff in front of people uh, to reveal his secret identity. So, Flash pushes him over and even steals his lunch. I'd like to point out that Rand does not eat any of Peter's lunch. He doesn't. He doesn't. The only two who do it, which he isn't named in the episode, but the the big guy is actually, like, Kenny Kong from um, from the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. Yeah. Which he, he is one of the ones that they change the ethnicity of. He's explicitly asian okay I don't, know, I don't know exactly like what like nationality yeah. of asian he is but he's supposed to be explicitly asian he's voiced he's voiced by an asian actor too um but that makes sense now that i i have an idea um of who that actually was <laughs> right right it's That's... interesting that like flash's crew is where they're making these changes yeah actually i didn't even think about that but yeah you're right it's like the only ones that we've that we that we see yeah interesting (laughs) but anyway yeah so they eat his lunch they even eat his pound cake which is so rude and that's how peter knows they stole his lunch by the way he didn't (laughs) notice until flash was like "Mm, pound cake (laughs) wait i have pound cake (laughs) (laughs) to be fair like how many high school students are gonna have pound cake in their lunch yeah i mean that's not exactly a staple so (laughs) right right (laughs) um well after that uh we cut away to what appears to be like a warehouse or something like that um you know very like technologically advanced warehouse it seems i can't really tell what that building is <laughs> who knows it's a secret place where secret meeting happens uh-huh. secret secret meeting happens secret meetings happen nope just one just one just one but uh this happened uh where this is a uh, hammerhead leads the enforcers to a radio through which they receive instructions from this mysterious big man. Um, he's in, they're instructed to kill Spider-Man. Big man shares that Spider-Man has been a pest for the past four months and has been interrupting his operations and wants him dead. Not I stopped, think, just <laughs> dead. Just dead. I mean, They hey. even ask, too. They're like, so you want us to wrangle this guy? And he's like, no, kill him. <laughs> I mean, like, whoa. <laughs> he knows what he wants, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess he says squash. They probably have the same rule about saying kill, don't they? I think so. Yeah, probably so. Makes Especially sense. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that the show uses the enforcers because they're not used like ever. Like they were very early in the Spider-Man comics that, that they appeared. Well, but, like, when you think about what they were reading, it, it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that they use them, though, because you wouldn't expect it. And it's good to use them in a first episode like this, too. Yeah, because they're not really that big of, a, of of threats or anything. And they're basically doing what, like, hired goons would do. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, they have a little bit extra personality. They they do some extra things. They don't really, like, add a whole lot to the, this episode other than right. just making the, the action sequences a little more complicated, essentially. Which I think is fine. They're just kind of showing off these different facets of the world at this point. So Yeah. If there are any, like, enforcers stands out there, like, send me something to read with them. Because I don't... I've never really enjoyed them, but I know that they've existed throughout. So there's got to be something, right? There's got to be some sort of, like, good enforcers content. <laughs> yes. I mean, I feel like they just fill the fill the role of yeah. a group of hitmen. Like, that. Yeah, they're like intermediary (laughs) villains where like they're not like leading anything, but they're not just goons. I don't know. It's weird. Right. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody let me know. 
Yeah. Someone out there will, will have our back, you know? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who maybe. knows? With the enforcers, <laughs> I'm not confident. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to school um, where Peter and Gwen are asked to stay after class, and their teacher shares that he's recommended them for this internship opportunity at Empire State University with Dr. Connors, um, who they already know because they have they went to, um, was it a field trip? Yeah, it was a field trip that they, they went on. And this is actually the same field trip where Peter was bit by the radioactive spider so we do get like a brief flashback of that my favorite thing about that flashback is that we we get some insight into the before and after spider bite versions of peter yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like extra nerdy in that flashback <laughs> yeah whereas now he's sort of just like neutral uh, neutral high school kid <laughs> yeah it's it's i like it because like they do like subtle changes like his hair is just like a little bit shorter but then he yeah. also is dressed in like a button up and uh-huh. like, like khakis like oh you dork. Well, and he's he's wearing glasses which if this was you know if they were inspired in any way by the raimi films once he has his spider powers he no longer wears his glasses mm-hmm. um so that's kind of a neat detail that they threw in there as well yeah and even the spider is the red and blue spider like from the raimi movies too oh yeah mm-hmm. and he has a red and blue he has red and blue pens in his pocket oh. he probably has a pocket protector <laughs> i, I didn't like even that. notice that but of course he has a pocket protector right <laughs> they really went all in on that mm-hmm. <laughs> naturally both students do accept um that offer and strangely are instructed to meet with connor's <laughs> that afternoon because yeah. if you accept this you must go today <laughs> dude like what if they had like an after school job or something you don't know like or on. what if they had to ask their guardian <laughs> right like how are you like can i take they... this internship on a college campus in the middle of the city oh just you know whatever no big deal (laughs) i know come on (laughs) two quick things about the scenes first of all all the the stuff that's written on the chalkboard in the background yep three of those four things that are written are episode titles yeah and i love gwen's reaction to like dr connor's research like she does this thing where she like puts both of her hands together almost in like a prayer motion where she's (laughs) just so happy about how thrilling dr connor's research is like a little happy clap very, yeah, like a happy clap. Yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> I like her characterization so far a lot. I do too. She, I feel like she's one of the best parts of this show, in my opinion, to be honest. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I feel like, I actually feel like the Amazing Spider-Man movies took a lot of cues from this show. Because I don't think, well, only because I don't think any other version of her has ever been like a science nerd like this. And then they carry that over into Amazing Spider-Man. And even, into the Spider-Verse. And a little into the bit. Spider-Verse a little bit. Yeah. Because even like the Ultimate Comics, like she was like almost like a goth, like punk, punk girl. Like this like nerdy, nerdy version of her is, is very like specific to this show. So... I want to say that 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 had some future influence Hmm. on how she's been portrayed since then. Nice. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Well, after they accept this internship without any uh, Guardian's approval, they have a bit of time, it seems, between when that starts and when they leave school. It makes it extra, extra weird that they're like, this afternoon. Yeah. Timeline's <laughs> a little wonky, but whatever. Yeah. Peter chooses to spend his uh, sort of middle time over at Harry's place. Um, Harry's like, well, wait, how do you go to this internship if you have the school newspaper? Aren't you like their star photographer? And Peter says, no, I'm not doing that anymore because that doesn't pay any bills but now i've got this lab job and so you know this is this is more important it'll help with finances and whatnot so they're talking about this internship and norman overhears them and says hey kids get out here or whatever it is he says basically beckons (laughs) beckons them over um Mm -hmm. and does a very norman thing where he (laughs) in front of peter uh expresses his disappointment that harry was not offered the internship (laughs) 
I know. I, I do shaming I, his child in front of his friend. God, it's so rough. <laughs> and I like I appreciate that that Peter they don't like hone in on it or anything, but I feel like there's like subtle there's like subtle like hints that he's sensing the awkwardness because he's just like oh, oh I mean, it's yeah. Not, it's not a big deal. Like you don't have you don't yeah. have to like Peter's uncomfortable. Abuse, you don't have to emotionally abuse your son in front of me because of this. I like, know. Uh, it's so tragic, <laughs> and it's. Uh, I I love I love how Norman and Harry's relationship is is handled throughout this because like it's not subtle at all. But I think it's also weirdly real. Like yeah. I could sort of, I could totally see this being like a thing. We're gonna get some like maximum Norman Osborn. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a version. He's definitely like. This is not the Norman Osborn in either of the shows that we've watched at this point. Like this is not this is no in no way pushover Norman Osborn. This is this is hardcore manipulative bastard or Norman Osborn. Like, this is like Norman career. Osborn who ends up president Norman Osborn. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of Norman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I will say this is, I, I guess I could have mentioned this earlier, but this is something where I feel like it's really prominent. I don't get the design of Harry's arms because they have oh. these weird lines, like where his elbow like is, where he's almost like a doll, where like these like squiggly lines where like the 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 forearm and like upper part of his arm meet. Oh, or, like, do you, he's you not the only that? one. I didn't notice it with him, but... um. Ox, I think, has a similar thing going on where it looks like his arm is segmented and there's there's a toy joint. Yeah. And I don't get that. It's like it's one thing if like everybody was drawn like that, I guess, but like I don't get why certain characters are drawn like that. Like it doesn't seem to have any reason for it. It literally just looks like they forgot to erase part of the line when hmm. they did like their initial design. Yeah, it that's always, weird. That's literally bothered me since the first day I watched this show. Oh wow, so, yeah, I didn't notice it with him. I noticed it with Ox and just figured it would be like a one off sort of weird character thing. Huh interesting huh. yeah let's pay attention or don't so you can be happier than i am not noticing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true i don't want to be miserable every time i watch this show <laughs> not that i'm miserable watching this show you sound pretty miserable <laughs> yeah i hate my favorite show ever. <laughs> and it's all because of harry's arms <laughs> Well, as this um, shaming of his child is going on, um, I can't even be mad about this because uh, Toombs swoops in fully in Vulture get up and grabs Norman and flies away. <laughs> yeah, he deserves you know? it. You know? He saves <laughs> Harry. That's <laughs> how so I'm choosing to look at it. <laughs> Pretty much. I like the voice acting that um that James Arnold Taylor gives to Harry with that. It's yeah. real simple, but it's just like he doesn't scream for his dad or anything. He's just like, Dad. Like it's just like literally like in shock. Yeah. The the next moment's really good too, because Harry is like, What do I do? Like he's he's it's done very, very well where he's sort of just like panicking and confused and it's like, yeah. ah, what do I do? Yeah. Peter in a very, very quick brilliant move says run inside and call the police like go fast do it um and this allows him to jump off the building <laughs> um in order to pursue vulture um he does this uh after leaving his shoes behind um i guess so that he can uh, is this a version of spider-man where like he can't wall crawl with his shoes on i that's what i think i'm getting at because the uh the amazing friends was like that too where peter had to like take mm-hmm. off his shoes to do wall crawl so yeah yeah i think it's it's like that Okay. I, yeah. uh, I make, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It ups the stakes a little bit in this episode. 
Bully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it, it creates a, a, a funny joke at the very least. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, so he leaves his shoes behind and sets off to pursue Tombs. Tombs is basically just like flying around New York tormenting Osborne, which is like a very vulture thing to do. Um, and this is where he demands that Osborne tell the world that he stole Tombs' tech and apologize for it and pay him back. And like you said, <laughs> Osborne says over and over, I never apologize. I won't <laughs> apologize. You know? Yep. And so Tombs drops him. <laughs> just, just drops him. I don't actually think he meant to like kill him. I think he was going to swoop back down because it's sort of like what he's right. been doing. Right. Um, but before he can swoop back down and grab him, Spidey swings in and saves Osborne from yeah. the fall. I love, 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 love that Vulture's whole, like his whole persona, his name being the Vulture, was from him like misremembering <laughs> An insult that Norman called him. So genius. I love that so much. Earlier Um, in the episode, Osborne calls him a buzzard. And then later during this scene, asks him basically like, what's up with the getup or whatever. And Toombs says, I'm just being what you called me, a vulture. And Norman's (laughs) like, you can't even get that right. I called you a buzzard. (laughs) He like, he rubs it in. It's so good. Like, I love, I love, I hate this version of Norman, but I love this version of Norman so much. Well, he's he's done in that way that you love to hate him. Like, he's doing it so well where you're like, oh, I just want to punch you in the face. I know. He's (laughs) such an asshole at all times. (laughs) And this is, this is like such a good example because he's being tossed through the air in New York City, like among the skyscrapers. And despite that, he's, he's still just digging it in like he's still insulting vulture right. he's still being a total dick to this guy who could literally just kill him right <laughs> like osborne <laughs> gives no f's in this moment <laughs> or probably ever <laughs> yep 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 well as we might expect spider-man does save norman osborne while mm-hmm. he's falling they P- spidey's like really mean to norman in this moment too like he has no reason to necessarily hate norman osborne because he's his best friend's dad but he's still like calling him ugly and heavy and <laughs> like <while> he <laughs> saves him like you're the ugliest damsel in distress i've ever had he's just getting one in for harry you know yeah i know that's true he literally just did witness like yeah. emotional abuse happening yeah so actually can't do that so he's doing it that's yeah actually that makes a lot of sense that that oh he's such a good friend yeah he really is oh that's sweet yeah it's very sweet so after spider-man saves him um it's 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 worth noting that like neither vulture nor osborne actually know who spider-man is they have to like Mm -hmm. ask him and then even when spider-man's like well i'm spider-man like look look at me and and vulture's like spider-man i thought he was a thought you were a myth which is kind of hammers in the whole idea that spider-man hasn't actually been at this for very long and also the fact that like this is the first time he's had like a big giant like super villain battle so yeah it's pretty cool i think it's a pretty cool uh a pretty cool way to establish it. And I, 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 I like the idea that like, as soon as Peter became a superhero, it's not like supervillains just like exploded in the city. Like his right. origin story didn't involve fighting a supervillain. Like this, this is something that happens later after he's more experienced, which mm-hmm. is probably a little more realistic. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a really fun uh, exchange where Peter basically says like, look, as a, as a guy who dresses up as his favorite animal, I can appreciate, you know, <laughs> what you've got going on here. And I just like really <laughs> love that. Yeah. This show <laughs> is like, really good. so good. It shows really good comedy. I feel like so. Yeah. <laughs> they're writing spider-man very well i i like the way they're writing him a lot good good i agree <laughs> well he does uh drop norman off at a police station he attempts to pursue vulture but vulture escapes so yes uh, we cut from that to being uh back on the ground <laughs> it's really funny 
Peter is talking to Harry on the phone um, as he's walking to uh, to ESU. Um, and I do like like Peter's excuses, like, "Oh yeah, I tried to I tried to chase your dad and the vulture on foot." Oh yeah, I guess I guess that was pretty useless. Like yeah. I love I'd love to hear Harry's end. It's just like that's a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish I could hear like the the full conversation. They're like, "What in the world? <laughs> Why did you think that would work?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he he hangs up when he sees Gwen, who's like, "Gwen's giving me the look," and Gwen's like, "I was so not giving you the look." Um, I like that. I do too. It's a really interesting, Greg Weissman's like the way he writes young people is always very similar because he does a lot of that. Like I was so blah, 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 like sentence mm-hmm. structures. He does it in Young Justice too, but it's sort of weirdly like it can be cringy sometimes, I guess. But for the most part, I think it works because it's clearly not trying to do like contemporary teen speak. It's just like a way of speaking that you recognize being a way that teenagers mm-hmm. like, like it sort of evokes this evokes it in the same way that a lot yeah. of like Joss Whedon's teen speak on Buffy. It wasn't like real teen speak. It just sort of like evokes the same feeling because they're using weird sentence structures. Yeah. But um, but after he meets her, um, they head inside. And this is where we meet uh, Eddie Brock, who in this series, kind of like in the Ultimate Universe a little bit, they're they're good friends or former friends. Yeah. Eddie knew Peter in high school. He is now a college freshman who is working with Dr. Connors. Um, he's, in fact, his personal lab assistant. And Wild. I know. That is wild. <laughs> who is this Eddie? Like, it- one, I didn't recognize him. Two, he's like Dr. Connors' personal lab assistant. What? He's like... <laughs> super bros they say bro like multiple times like super bros with peter like what is this that's i love the show (laughs) i hate eddie and peter calling each other bro because they do it so freaking much it's also sort of out of place it does like i know that bro is a very sort of like uh it sort of entered everybody's lexicon first ironically and then genuinely as a result of that. But that wasn't 2008. No. And I don't feel like even at that point, you're not like calling your, you're not calling someone bro in like an affectionate way like that. Like that's right. literally their nickname for each other, you know? Like right. in the same bro way that you sort call... of replace dude where it's like, dude, now it's like, bro. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't, it just doesn't sound right to me. It's something that kind of. That really bugs me a lot, and it never stops bugging me in the show. Oh, it's not enough to it? like. It's not enough to like destroy enjoyment of it, oh, but sure. like, it's just use your names. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I look forward to them never calling each other by their names. Oh yeah, this is this is this is the only time it happens. It's fine. Oh okay, great, no. great, great. <laughs> super great. <laughs> Well, Eddie introduces the two of them to Dr. Martha Connors. I love that she's Dr. Martha Connors. I know, right? Um, Yeah, and she introduces them to Dr. Kurt Connors, but not before we see him injecting something into his arm that has a prosthetic, basically. So we see that he has a prosthetic arm and he's injecting something into that or whatever in a a different room. Uh, Obviously, we don't get any details about that. We just sort of understand what what that's going to become. Yeah. So Connors actually recognizes Peter and he doesn't just recognize him as a kid that was on a field trip. He specifically begins to say, oh, you were the boy who was bitten by that spider. But Peter cuts him off. Yeah. I don't fully know what to make of that yet. And I I hope that it is further explored, but I don't know if it will be because it sort of caught me off guard. 
Um, not that he said, oh, you're the boy who was bitten by the spider, but the fact that Peter specifically was like, nope, that, uh, <laughs> other thing. Let's say another thing. Let's say something else. You yeah, know? I feel like it's just, in the, at least in the context of this episode, it reads to me as just Peter just trying to, like, just avoid going in that direction at all. It's yeah. just sort of like, I don't want anybody to make these connections, even if they never will. I don't want even the like possibility that they might connect these, these sure. dots coming up. Yeah, so. and I guess with like Dr. Connors, like if anybody were to connect the dots, yeah. it's him. Yeah. <laughs> the, two things about about this this sequence that I like. First of all, when when they're talking to Eddie, Peter still is, doesn't have his shoes. He's left his shoes yeah. at, at Oscorp. So he's rolling into this first his first day on this internship in his socks, which I can't even imagine what that's oh like that's gotta be crazy which eddie, eddie assumed that's what Ed- that is he's, huh? he's he's he'd be fired <laughs> <laughs> right right i um, interviewed a student for a job once who wasn't wearing shoes and the moment he walked in i was like you're not nope. you're not getting hired <laughs> there's no way what are you doing right. well i mean they don't mind i guess eddie calls it out yeah and ex- and, and the excuse is that like flash thompson sold his shoes actually kind of are- provides the perfect excuse yeah, which apparently, like, from their, like, that suggests that it's, like, happened multiple times before, apparently. Which right. Which is crazy to me. But, yeah, so, mentions that, and then, like, he, 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 I guess, jokes to Peter, or he's just, like, good thing, good thing I told him you wear clean underwear and not clean socks. And it's, it like, you told, you told the Connors he wears clean underwear? That's weird. That's still weird. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a thing. <laughs> it's not You not know, like, any... it's not like, uh, keep your nose clean, kid. Like, yeah. that's, that, that's not, it's not that. That's weird, bro. Yeah, bro. Why <laughs> also, are you talking about your bro's underwear? I, yeah. I mean, unless yeah. you two are about to hook up, which you can't do yet because one of you is still in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. ooh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is that when Peter shakes Dr. Connors' hand, Peter, I think this was an intentional like thing to make it to be awkward, but it's like super yeah. subtle. Dr. Connors' prosthetic is his right arm. He yes. extends his 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 left hand to shake his hand. Peter extends the hand that's on the arm that's on the same side. Right. So like he mirrors instead of, it instead of matching it. it. Yeah, so he grabs like the back of of Dr. Connors' hand. So Dr. Connors can't even grasp him and Peter's just like shaking it. And I don't think it's like I mean, I feel like it had to be intentional because it's a weird thing to, to yeah. like animate. And I feel like Dr. Connors is just kind of like standing there looking at him. So it was just like a weird thing that I noticed that was uh, awkward, but I don't think it was like a mistake. I think it was just like, oh, no. this is how awkward it is. No, I think it was very intentional. And it's it's kind of, it's almost sweet on Peter's part as awkward as it is because Peter doesn't think twice about it. You know, yeah. like he's just very naive in that moment, but yeah. not in like a... I don't think in like an ignorant or offensive way. You know, he's like excited to meet Dr. Connors and he's shaking whatever hand is offered. <laughs> exactly. He's super pumped. He's super pumped out what's happening. And he's yeah. Really, yeah. He's a big science fanboy, So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. And he also thinks that he's going to be paid for this. Oh, but he still does. Yep. As, as literally anyone who's ever done an internship knows. <sighs> um, <laughs> most internships, especially when you are a high school student with no experience, um, those internships are never paid. They're Criminal. May, maybe for school credit. Maybe. Criminal. Yep. Um, and as Eddie clarifies, yeah, no, this this internship doesn't pay anything, which um, shatters Peter's dreams of breaking in the mm-hmm. green for Aunt May. Yep. Get paid for the work you do, everyone. Mm-hmm. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> this obviously frustrates Peter. So when they're done with the internship, he's sitting outside with Gwen. 
like thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, I thought that was, I thought that was going to make money for us. And she, she says, you know, don't, don't worry too much about it because the solution will come to you. And right on cue, (laughs) Peter is hit in the face with a copy of the Daily Bugle with a Spidey related headline, but a really terrible photo. Um, It's just like a photo of the web, but no Spider-Man, I don't Mm -hmm. think. And so Peter's like, oh, okay, here we go. That's it. And so he heads to the Daily Bugle and he he basically breaks into the Daily Bugle because they won't let him in through the front door, but uh, figures this is where I need to be because I could help these guys out a little bit. They could help me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once he's there, J. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, we get our official meeting of him. Yeah. Um, he mistakes Peter for an employee who was supposed to be fetching the bagels for him. Um, Betty Brant clarifies, like, that's not who you sent for the bagels, so chill out, J.J. Peter, however, does use the opportunity to del- tell Jameson that he can provide the bugle with photos of Spider-Man and claims that they would sell papers. Um, Jameson, he makes very clear that he hates teenagers. Mm-hmm. He calls Peter a wailing infant <laughs> and has him removed from the building. Yep. But just before Peter's, like, uh, out the door, he hears Jameson telling uh, Robbie that they, the exact same thing that Peter told him. He's like, yeah. you know what will sell papers? Pictures of Spider-Man. And Peter's yep. just like, oh my God, seriously. So <laughs> I know that's Robbie, but do they ever actually call him that? Uh, I don't think they do in this episode, but yeah, okay. that's, that's Robbie. I mean, it is obviously, yeah. but. Yeah. So after that, you know, Peter suits up. He's trying to retrieve his shoes because they're still left behind. I think he says that his day reeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> this day reeks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, before he can get his shoes, he does encounter Vulture once again attempting to take Osborne. Um, Osborne's like getting into a limo or something and or getting out of a limo. I don't know. There's a limo involved. But Vulture's trying to kidnap him again. So Spider-Man's like, nope, I'm going to get you again, Vulture. And as he is chasing after Vulture, who is chasing after Osborne, the enforcers find Spider-Man and decide to chase after him. <laughs> So it is a multi-layered chase, um, and uh, before before we really get any sort of conclusion on the Vulture and Osborne side of things, the Enforcers manage to capture Spider-Man in a net of some kind. I love this, because you know what, I, I, was, I was wondering, like, going into this, I was trying to think of, like, if you're trying to construct the pilot to this... Mm-hmm. It it does it does seem like the obvious choice would be like you focus on one villain like that's yeah. fine. But I think what's interesting is that I feel like they recognize that like Vulture, while he obviously is a very important villain to the Spider-Man mythos, like Vulture fights. There's only so much you can really do with them. Yeah. And so I think it was pretty clever to be like, okay, we have one very standard Spider-Man versus Vulture fight where they're fighting the air. We need a little more to spice it up. So then you can kind of work in this, this what will be an ongoing story about the big man. You can throw in the enforcers and introduce them and have them kind of spice it up. So it's not just Peter fighting the generic gliding supervillain. It's right. Peter doing that in the midst of like also battling like three people with very distinct fighting styles and also mm-hmm. a helicopter who that has crazy like um, traps and stuff. And, and, and it's a really good showcase for this first episode for what kind of action that we're going to get. Cause this is a very long action sequence. I just realized why this show reminds me so much of Jackie Chan adventures. Like yeah. I, it just hit me. It's, I mean, it's part of it is the style, but the fact that this episode starts with the enforcers, there are a trio of hired goons in Jackie Chan Adventures mm-hmm. that very, very much resemble the Enforcers. 
Interesting. Like a lot. One of them is sort of big and hulky. One of them is a martial artist. And um, the other one is sort of a um, sort of like smarmy, like suited kind of uh, like quippy guy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's I mean. Hmm. That's interesting. It makes sense as like a trifecta, I guess. Yeah. Like, like those are kind of three co- very clear, like contrasting personalities. Right. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes plenty of sense. Um, but it just hit me like why, <laughs> why I keep, keep going back to that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't remember exactly what point this comes up, but, uh, I know like there's a point, um, there's a couple of points in this episode where we see some statues of gargoyles. Mm-hmm. There's come a, a, a couple at the very beginning of the episode, then one in this action sequence that's very explicit and all of them are modeled after the gargoyles. gargoyles. Oh, are they really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, I, w- I very didn't realize that in the beginning. I know it's like Broadway and Hudson, Maybe Lexington, you see them. And then oh, okay. in this one, the one that he webs up like during this big giant fight sequence, yeah. um, the one that he webs up and breaks is is modeled directly after Broadway. For okay, well, that... who knows the characters on that show. So. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was hoping at the time that he would, would call one of them Bruce, but now I get... I get why he wouldn't because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're actually a reference to something else. Right. Right. I just really wanted a nineties, you know, shout out to Bruce, the gargoyle. It would be cool if they combine the references. Cause that'd be yeah. a really easy way to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> so because they've caught him in a net, um, they're able to actually sort of spar and battle with Spider-Man. So Montana ends up staying in the helicopter. They were pursuing him with, but sends out ox and fancy Dan to sort of beat up, and squash, as the big man says, Spider-Man. <laughs> Whereas Vulture continues to just chase after Osborn. Um, this is a cool fight scene. I really like it. I enjoy it because, like you said, both Ox and Fancy Dan have very distinct fighting styles. I, I kind of hate Ox's design in this series, but that's neither here nor there. I have mixed. I'll I'll get into it. <laughs> we do uh, the faces of the episode. I have mixed feelings. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is despite that, despite my hating to look at Ox in this series, <laughs> I really enjoy this fight because he's he's one of the things that makes it cool is he's he's fighting against two different opponents with extremely different styles. Mm-hmm. So he has to balance that, um, and uh, you know does so with mixed success. He does eventually sort of best the two of them, but he does it by attempting to run away from them and uh, only sort of because Ox jumps after him, which is he dumb. literally jumps off the goddamn building. Yeah. With no, with no, like, way to like, wh- do anything. Wh- he did no parachute, no nothing. Yeah. What was his plan? What were you going to do? The enforcers are not superhuman to my knowledge. So, like, no. it's not like he could just sort of crater into the earth below. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's right, right. That'd be cool, but you can't you do that. Thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, Spider-Man like jumps off the building. Ox jumps off after him. And this is kind of how Spider-Man bests him. He, he ends up ultimately webbing him up from a flagpole. Basically says like, I know you can break out of this, but you're really not going to want to because he's so high up. And then Spider-Man, you know, thwips off. Yes, he does. And he thwips off to uh, go back after Vulture. We also notice that the third enforcer, Mohana? Moana? I am Mohana. (laughs) The third enforcer, Montana, chases after him in the helicopter. So he does, Spider-Man figures out that he can use Montana in the helicopter and the Vulture against each other. Um, so Spider-Man jams Montana's helicopter with one of Vulture's wings that he just like straight up rips off Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and jams the helicopter. He also like 
he figures out that Vulture is steering with the wings, but he's not gliding with the wings. Like the actual right. technology is like like a, probably some kind of like anti-gravity thing that he has just like in his hump that he has right next to his neck. Um, and he only figures that out because he like hears it whirring basically. So he grabs that out and that's between, and then, you know, between those two things, he's able to stop everybody. So uh, Toons right. gets webbed up alongside Ox and Fancy Dan. But even though he, uh, he took down Montana's helicopter, Montana does end up getting away. Right. Um, which he sort of explicitly states. So that's not, not left unclear at the end. Cause I was kind of wondering, <laughs> mm-hmm. I like this solution. I really like it a lot. Cause I was getting to a point where I was wondering like, how is this going to end? Like, I know I've been watching this for a while. And so I like the solution that he comes up with. Yeah, I do too. It's really clever. And again, it's like one of those things where I feel like for this pilot, especially they're really trying to make clear like the kinds of stuff that they want to and can do with this show. Like they can have the very kind of, you know, we were watching Amazing Friends and they had some really overwritten, oh complicated gosh. ways to do stuff. They didn't have the animation to back it up. Right. This show can figure out really clever kind of writerly ways to get out of things and actually animate it and pull it off. I just want everybody to just take a moment and imagine this scene animated into Amazing Friends. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it would be approximately a minute and 30 seconds longer. <laughs> Oh, God. Firestar would uh, accomplish this by blasting everything around. Uh-huh. She would yell heat shield and just stand yeah. there for a while. And one solid wall of fire right. would form around a helicopter. And uh-huh. the helicopter would probably shoot a big laser through it. Yeah. And we would yeah. be like, wait, where's the laser actually coming from? What's uh-huh. it actually firing at? And then Spider-Man would fall down. And we would yeah. be like, why did he fall? What happened? Iceman would be nowhere to be seen, but then swoop in and make a joke that's based on him not understanding words. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love Amazing uh, Friends so much. It's so good. And for people who, like, <laughs> skipped our coverage of that, they're going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> no, we loved it a lot. Oh, no, it's yeah. We're, we're saying all these things because we love it. <laughs> Uh, well, there is not much left after this. Um, once he's webbed up his foes, um, we do end the episode at the Parker residence. It's very, very late. And so Peter is trying to sneak back into his room, but he can't do that because Aunt May is waiting up for him. So he does have to go in the front door and basically expose the fact that he's been out all night. So he walks in, Aunt May stops him uh, for a talk and basically says, you have a curfew. You cannot stay out this late. If you do, you got to call me. Lays down some rules. This is a moment where I really like this Aunt May. She's not a pushover. She's not just a worry wart. She's, you know, sort of asserting guardianship <laughs> and authority, which I like. Yeah, yeah. I like her a lot. And she even, uh, you know, she uh, she offers him, after, after suggesting the curfew and that he call yeah. her and all that stuff, she uh, offers him a slice of banana cream pie, which is real nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think then that kind of prompts this... Um, this uh, this nice little like coda on the show that that ties it back to the very beginning. Yeah. The opening was that Peter Peter's narration, which I don't know if you really mentioned. He he narrates a lot in this episode, not really to the same extent as the '90s show Peter did, but he right. still he narrates quite a bit. Part of the course for Peter and his opening monologue is like, "Tell me there's something better. Try." Which yeah, is no one had a better summer vacation than me. Right, and he's referring to being Spider-Man, obviously, but he brings back that "Tell me, tell me there's something better. Just try mm-hmm. for this." But referring to Aunt May being an amazing woman in his life. Yeah. Despite despite nothing in his day going as planned, he will still always have her, which is very sweet. It's very, very lovely. Very lovely like note. To, very lovely note to end this on. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this. 
Good. I was hoping so. <laughs> yes. I, I did. I, I did like it uh, a whole lot. I watched it many, many times. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to to move forward. I actually had to resist watching more because we were just covering one. <laughs> nice, nice. But I will probably watch the next episodes that we cover much earlier than I normally would. <laughs> yes. Ah, yeah, I won. Yeah. Because I dig it. anything to win, but yeah. <laughs> well, and a lot of that is is curiosity, to be totally honest. Like, sure. I like what I have seen, but I think my biggest motivation is just curiosity for where these things will go. So I, I, I enjoyed this, but I just, I need to know how all of these characters that they've introduced will end up playing out because there's just so much of it, you know? Yeah, I think that's something that this show does really, really well because I remember in in the context of this whole show, I don't like love this episode. I think it's a it's a decent pilot. It's got a lot of exposition happening, introduces a lot of stuff. So it kind of and it doesn't yeah. feel like it was it doesn't feel like it's like too overstuffed or anything, but it definitely like it doesn't really like flow. Like it feels like it's a pilot, right? It, Which Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's definitely meant to introduce a lot because the conflict itself is actually like pretty weak. Like yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So it's like I feel like it's sort of technically one of the weaker episodes of the show, but like only just by necessity, essentially. Yeah. You know, it couldn't really do anything else. But right. but it exemplifies what the show does really really well especially moving forward it gets you hooked immediately because like you said you really want to see what's going to happen with this barrage of characters you've mm-hmm. been introduced to um and i think that like pretty much everyone all, at least all of like the main heavy hitters that you meet you get a pretty good idea of like who they are right off the bat even in the the, the generally short time that you meet them and there's enough stuff seated that you like really want to know what happens next yeah. in like a really similar vein to like how shows made for binge watching is today you know it really feels like a precursor to the type of stuff you get now where you're just like you just want to know what happens right now Mm -hmm. it's not even that they left you in a cliffhanger it's not a cliffhanger at all there's just all these little things these little characters that seem intriguing that like are doing things that you want to be like what are they going to do now and i think the show is really well constructed in that fashion and this episode just like you said also really shows off the action of it like how Mm -hmm. how the action is going to play out and and it's just like yeah this is the kind of show that you're into and you're either in for it or you're not and i feel like it uh, it does a good job of exemplifying all of that yeah i'm i'm in for it good good <laughs> yes <laughs> cool cool well um, we got a few faces of the episode for this. Um, this is the type of show that that is pretty a pretty well oiled machine. So you're not going to see a lot of like animation. Yeah, characters. it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, but there's still like just because of how how the designs are, it'll be it's really interesting. Whenever these characters are drawn with like a little bit extra detail or with a little extra lines, like just one extra line like makes a big difference um, because they're so simple. So there's a couple of faces of Peter. I really I think like the most because of the contrast between the two of them. Yeah, it's. It's in the same scene, just right at the beginning with high school, when, when we first meet all the, like, the high school kids. Um, we first have Peter when he's, like, really smitten with uh, Sally Avril, and he's just kind of, like, gazing at her longingly, and everything's really soft. And it's just, like, a type of face that we don't really see in this show very often. But then, like, just a few seconds after that is when he's, like, threatening Flash, and it gets, like, a really pretty hardcore, like, villain face on him, essentially. Right? He, like, ages 20 years in this moment. Yeah, it's, like, real <laughs> vicious. 
And it's uh-huh. just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's just like I I think of the '90s show Lion. He's like, I've grown a lot more than a backbone. Oh, yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. That is this moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's the exact same moment, just you know, well, without an alien. <laughs> I think, yeah, I know, right? I think what's really good about these two these two screen grabs is that if you if you sort of look at the style of the show and doubt that they can do much with it, this proves you wrong. You know, yes. like if you see the simplicity of the designs and you're like, oh gosh, this is going to be like real rough. It's it's not and and, and you've you've managed to demonstrate that in two grabs from like what 60 seconds apart right. <laughs> yeah it's crazy how much they can really do with this and i think it's because they have a really talented group of people working on this show yep. but but yeah yeah no this show does a lot of really great stuff even under like the kind of constraints they put themselves in aren't actually really constraints at all they they, they do pretty amazing work the other thing it's not really a face of the episode it's just what we were talking about earlier uh. so Ox. <laughs> Ox has such an interesting design. So it. when he's suited up in that full, like, kind of black spy gear, I think the first time we see him, where we don't see his mouth, where we just see, like, his, like, wide eyes and his mustache in the helicopter, I think he's adorable. I think he's one mm. of the cutest things ever. It's weird, but I think it's adorable. Then he smiles. Mm. <laughs> Awful. It's bad like it's not that like their art and animation or anything is bad no. it's just creepy it's creepy it is. af i think uh, my, the, i like the idea of this design for ox like and in in other styles i think i would be really all about it sure. but for whatever reason it just like it 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 makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> like always you know suited up not suited up like there's something about it where I'm just like, ah, don't look at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I wish I could put my finger on it, but I just, oh, I hate it. I hate this design for Ox so much. <laughs> when he's smiling, he's literally showing all of his teeth. Oh, like, top my row, gosh. Bottom row. It's all distinctly like, especially compare like when Peter is burying his teeth to Flash, yeah. it's just drawn very simplistically. Yeah. Why then, did they segment individually every tooth? It's it, it's really effective because it's it super is. creepy. It's super upsetting. Like mm-hmm. on a on like a primitive level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just oh. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! I know the teeth. The teeth. <laughs> why? <laughs> Uh, oh boy <laughs> yep 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 yeah oh ox oh my god well that's the first episode of spectacular spider-man yeah well if uh if people do want more spectacular spider-man takes or you know if uh if they want to look for some of your takes on other stuff we've covered or things we haven't covered where can people find more of you sure thing you can find me mostly on twitter uh, my Twitter name is at Derek B. Gale. Lots of weird and stupid takes uh, on my Twitter. So <laughs> be warned slash have fun. Um, you can find you know what to expect two and a half hours into this podcast. Luck. If you're finding us, you know exactly what you're getting into. Seriously. seriously. <laughs> um, you can find me on YouTube as well if you want to look up my show Second Chance. Um, there's a few episodes up of that. Um, more to come eventually. Um, it's a uh, video essay series looking at bad or divisive media and looking at them with a positive critical lens and trying to find what's uh, good about them. Yeah. Where can we find you? You can find me also on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. And if you are into Pokemon stuff, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It is a Pokemon podcast, and we cover whatever the heck we want in the Pokemon universe. So 
check that out. If you'd like to follow us, Walloping Web Snappers, you can find us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod, or you can email us at Walloping Web Snappers Podcast at gmail.com. We'd also love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. Yes. Especially if you want to use iTunes, you can uh, rate us. And even if you don't rate a full review, that's fine. Just rating us helps people find our podcast and kind of pick us out among the many Spider-Man podcasts that exist. Mm -hmm. And like we mentioned at the top of our episode, you can also support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Lots of great perks. Like we said, we've got some fun commentary episodes that we do exclusively for patrons. We have that Walloping Word Snappers game. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get early access to episodes like our Spider-Verse episode. If you are a patron, you could get both parts of the episode a a day earlier than the first part came out. So yes. um, Yeah. Yeah. So lots of special stuff like that and help us reach our goals. If we reach some of our goals that we have, our first one will get a Q and a episode that's accessible to all listeners. Our second goal will get us a, uh, another bonus monthly episode for just whatever we want to talk about. That's not part of our, our main, uh, our main series. Um, So if you want more of us, please become a patron. Even just $1 really, really, really helps us out and helps us uh, be able to, to afford all those Spider-Man shows that, unlike this one, are not available yeah. for streaming for free. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, you know, ultimately there are, there are shows that we plan to cover that cost money, and one way or another we'll cover them. But if you like what we're doing, we appreciate any sort of support. And Patreon is really just a way to do that and a way for us to say thank you with some some cool uh, perks to give back to you. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. But for the time being, please join us next time. We're going to take our biology 101 exam where we are going to see Spidey face off against Electro and the Lizard in the episodes Interactions and Natural Selection. Bye. See ya. Why, why did I start with that? <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! Hey! <laughs> that was weird. <laughs>